Hi, welcome to another episode of Ask a Jew, where a godless, sinful Israeli talks to the holiest of holy women. I am Yael, uh, with my friend Chaya Leah here. We are the Corey Haim and Corey Feldman of Judaism, some might say, even though they're oh both God. Jewish. Do you, do you want to be the one that died or the one which that's one? still alive? Yeah, Were they you both know, drug it's addicts? It's getting harder and harder to tell which is which. <laughs> Wait, Sorry were they to both, jump the intro. Yeah, were they both drug addicts? That's what I need to know. Well, one of them mm-hmm. is is hotter than the other, but he died. Yeah. But his oh. mother was Israeli, so maybe I'll be him. I'll, I'll take the hit. Okay, fine. But go for it. you may have heard, because we, we do have the, the Corey expert here. Uh, we do have a very <laughs> special guest here. We'll get right to introducing him so we don't waste any time. But at Nick Gillespie, editor-at-large Reason Magazine and uh, co-host of... What did you call it? The, not co-host. the Reason Interview. I'm not co-host. Oh. I'm the host <laughs> right, of right. the Reason Interview podcast. The Reason Interview with Nick Gillespie. With Nick, it doesn't say I Nick Gillespie host, and yeah. somebody else. That's right. I just That's have why to say you one thing. God is my co-host. <laughs> yes. and, and the God of the New Testament, an angry God. Oh, here we go already. Yeah. Here we go with the Christians. Great. I don't know. You know, you invited me. It's true. I didn't. I we, didn't we invited you there. to save you. Actually. I don't even okay. know. Oh, it's a good reverse uh, Jews for Jesus. Exactly. It's Jesus for Jews. <laughs> I, honestly, Nick, I have to say one thing. I do not get intimidated by people, but you scare the shit out of me. I don't oh, know. Really? Yeah, we're both kind I'm of terrified. Of you. Yeah, I'm like the Kaiser Sose of yeah. Ask a Jew. <laughs> I'm sitting with you in the room. Like, I am legitimately terrified. Oh, yeah. You're all the way in California. I've got, a, uh, I've got an Uzi trained on her. <laughs> right? But an Uzi is an Israeli weapon. It is. Yes. It's very yeah. heavy. and. Um, but it's, it's also, like, incredible. Right? I have it's, a friend who was uh, in the Army. She got to carry a micro Uzi. Oh, really? And she was so excited. And she was like, it's so cute. It's like a Gucci bag. Wow. <laughs> And there's the IDF, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm half Italian and half Irish. So Gucci, I don't know. Is Gucci Italian or French? I don't even know. It's what? Gucci. No, yeah, I'm sorry. It's I actually, Italian. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. And I, my, I loved watching House of Gucci because the way I read it, my grandparents, uh, my mother's parents were from Italy and they came here in like 1915. And so I don't care about Italy. I care about Italian-Americans. And the triumph of House of Gucci was a bunch of Italian-American actors like Al Pacino, Jared Leto, and uh, Lady Gaga playing the most cartoonish Italians (laughs) ever. Like, where they're like, what do you mean? You know, I twizzle my mustache with my hands. And it was a triumph. It was a triumph, and it was like, fuck you, Italy. Fuck you, old Europe. (laughs) We're over here now, and we're calling the shots. Was there an op-ed in The New Yorker about how offensive it was to Italian-Americans? Was there? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Probably should be. But Nick, I want want to say a little bit about you for our listeners who don't know who you are, because we have a lot of Orthodox listeners, Mm -hmm. and they don't know a lot of things about the the world outside. So did they have somebody turn the uh, podcast on today? Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey, close enough to a couple of big Jewish communities where I (laughs) I went to college with guys who were Shabbos guys. You You know, exactly. Mm -hmm. Nick, obviously you've been at Reason Magazine for... Ever. Ever. Now, since 1993. 1993. I have a very important question. You're interrupting my introduction. I have a question. I don't care about your introduction. (laughs) What is the difference between editor-at-large and editor-in-chief? You know, an editor-at-large hasn't been caught yet. Uh, no, because uh, you and so, Matt are both editor at large. What yes, the hell does that right. mean? Yes, that's right. My uh, colleague and occasional co-author and uh, my best fiend, Matt Welch. Uh, we are both editors at large, but um, 
an editor at large at Reason because it varies different that, you know, a lot of uh, journalism mastheads, you know, they haven't been standardized yet as a libertarian. I like that. Yeah. We don't all need to live by the same. Exactly. You know, codes. But uh, at Reason, it just means that I uh, I, I now make content uh, rather than manage people. It's like a goodwill so, ambassador. It's uh, like... I don't know about that. But I, uh, the way Matt and I sometimes talk about it is that because uh, I, I was editor-in-chief of the print magazine, then Matt came and I dumped the magazine on him and I took over the website <laughs> and the video platform. But when we were both coterminous, we were the, uh, the Glimmer twins, the... Uh, you know, uh, Jagger and Richards of reason there for a number of years, we would talk about like, you are either loading diapers or changing diapers. And like the <laughs> editor in chief is changing diapers. The editor at large currently is loading them. I know, it so we like produce a, content and that's sounds it. Sounds like a tax scam awesome. to me. Yeah, pretty much. I always <laughs> enjoy your, I really enjoy your interviews at the back of uh, reason magazine. Oh, thank you. Kyla reads, um, Reason Magazine religiously. Oh, really? I, mean, I mean that yeah, literally. Yeah, I've I told the story means, before, but I, I slept over at her house. The first time I met her, <laughs> I invited myself to sleep over at her house in yeah. Shabbos. And I woke up in the morning and, you know, the, the her people, they don't do anything. Like, they don't have their phones or TV right. or anything. Yeah, yeah. And I woke up in the morning. She was sitting at the kitchen table, very holy, and reading. And I was like, wow. oh, she's reading the Torah. And she was reading Reason Magazine. Yeah. Were you yeah, reading it right to left or left to yeah. right? Yeah, I only I start at the back. That's how I yeah. I only get to your articles, and then oh, I, I have no yeah, idea. And then you're like, "What the fuck am I doing?" <laughs> exactly. um, but Nick, that's not why we invited okay. you here. This is very yeah. important because okay, obviously you've been at yeah. Reason Magazine. For so uh, since I, I do just want to point out, Reason was uh, founded in 1968. In 1968, yeah. oh, okay. Uh, by a uh, and and this is great because. If you work at a place like Reason, you you know, whenever you piss people off, they're always like, you know, for a magazine called Reason, you're really full of oh, shit. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> here's clever. the ultimate one is that for a magazine called Reason, it's kind of funny that it was started by somebody who developed uh, schizophrenia, basically, yeah. and went insane. <laughs> oh, it sounds so like he, a, he, he saw too much. A documentary waiting to happen or made for TV movie. There's a wonderful uh, TV is over. Okay, we're done. Oh, I, I thought we'll Mass bring it back. Mass media is is last century's business. <laughs> uh, but Matt actually did. And if you go to Reason TV's YouTube channel, uh, yes. you know, youtube.com slash Reason TV, uh, and TV is the letter T and V. Uh, wait, okay? you say YouTube yeah. dot what? <laughs> yeah, dot ed, uh, Com? edu okay. dot xxx. Slack. I'm One not slash. sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, the, pinned to the top of the very top of the channel is a wonderful uh, documentary essay that Matt uh, made about Lanny Friedlander. Uh, uh, Sounds like a Jew. Apostate Jew. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah. But you. Uh, you do that. You host. Yeah. Uh, I host the Reason the Interview with Nick Gillespie, featuring Nick Gillespie. Featuring Nick. I'm like Sometimes the Alan Alda of you know the way Alan Alda was on Mash. <laughs> yes. Like I'm, you know, the script <laughs> consultant. I'm the coffee yeah. guy. Do you ever interview yourself on the Reason Interview uh, with know, Nick Gillespie? I believe that all interviews are autobiography. So <laughs> I don't even care. Most of the time, I don't even listen to the other person. You I mean, also what do have, they have to tell me? You also have a PhD in I do English have a PhD, literature. Yeah, uh, you, in American literature. American because literature. Because English literature, it, the, and this was great. I, when I was in grad school, um, it you know, and I'm sure your Jewish uh, listeners really care about this, but um, in in <laughs> the American care. university, um, mm -hmm. American literature since the the kind of modern study of it, which started in the teens or twenties of the twentieth century. 
American literature always had, Americanists had a, an inferiority complex to England. Like, who is, who is our Shakespeare? Who is our Milton? Who is our Chaucer? Right. And um, by th- when I started studying American literature in the late 80s, they were kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, we, by definition, because America is the dominant country, culturally, economically, politically, by definition, our literature is of interest, and we don't need to keep making these gestures towards like, oh, well, here's, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald is our Milton or something. It's just stupid. Right. And it was an enormous. Milton should be our F. Scott That's Fitzgerald. right. It's, it's an enormous relief um, to, you know, just kind of like not have to justify your cultural existence mm-hmm. and rather start to analyze and explore what your culture is producing and why and what mm-hmm. what does that tell us what do tell us about our stories and and so I will just say two things about that one is that that was part of you know the reason I got that degree was because I was interested in culture and understanding mm-hmm. culture and the stories we tell about ourselves and then the other thing is my diploma or my PhD is from the State University of New York at Buffalo mm-hmm. and I went there explicitly to work with one of the fucking greatest Jews in American history, a guy named Leslie Fiedler, who was one of the two or three most influential cultural critics, uh, academic cultural critics uh, after World War II. And uh, he's from Newark, New Jersey, which also I'm, I'm, I was born in Brooklyn, but I grew up in New Jersey. And I love New Jersey creates a certain type of person. It's a mix of (laughs) Newark is. Yeah. No. And it's a mix of, of, you know, existential dread, super Mm. fund pollution seeping into everything, you know, heavy metals all over the place. But um, where were you born in Brooklyn? Uh, you know, I was born in Methodist Hospital, which oh. is odd because I was Catholic. But then I lived only for a few years. I have no memories of uh, Brooklyn, really, uh, in Flatlands, oh. which is the great forgotten. It's yeah. like, you know, the uh, uh, what the fuck is it? Brigadoon of, of Brooklyn. <laughs> right. Like it's the, this hidden neighborhood that it, it gets Flatlands. mentioned once every 10 years. So what is that near? Flatland. It's like on the other side of the Flatbush area, oh, which is okay, also, yeah. you know, and all of these things are kind of changing and they always have. It's interesting. Now I live in what's called NoHo in Manhattan. Yeah. And like in the 80s when I lived in Manhattan, very few people called it NoHo. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was more like the East Village or Lower East Right, Side. right. And I know they're trying to change. My father, who was a son of Irish immigrants, was born in Hell's Kitchen in 1923. Oh, cool. And they're, you know, they're trying to change different names for different parts of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. So. Boys Town. I, call I it. was born oh, yeah. at Brookdale Hospital in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. And yeah. I was the only white baby. So when I would tell my <laughs> parents that I was running away, my father would say, and I would say, you know, oh, I'm not even part of this family. You know, you probably yeah. left the wrong kid in the hospital. And my father would say, <laughs> there is zero chance that you're not our child. <laughs> But my oldest I, child was born in Methodist Hospital. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? My brother, that. who lives in New Jersey still and was a uh, uh, salesman for, he uh, represented a company Ooh. that sold uh, um, uh, telephone headsets. And Methodist Hospital was one of his, you know, customers. And he said, like, the first time he went there, he was like, holy shit. <laughs> did our parents, like, the only thing they did was get the fuck out of Brooklyn. Right? Wow. <laughs> I didn't know it was that bad. What what yeah. year did you get it's your nice PhD? Now. Yeah, it's very nice. And, it's and, in I may, and I'll come back to this. It's yeah. It is um uh, we used to joke my brother and sister and I our our parents have been dead for like 25 or more years, but if they came back and we said, "Okay, we you know, before you go out in the world, we got to tell you three things that are going to blow your mind." <laughs> and it's like uh you know, uh, gay marriage 
you know, oh, yeah. is well, a thing. And they'd be like, oh, okay, what's the character? You know, they, they'd be like, that makes sense. Right. Uh, you know, we've had a black president. They'd be like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I can see that. And then we'd be like, you know, Brooklyn is the hottest borough in New York. <laughs> and they would be like, fuck you, you're lying. So can you true. imagine that happening in the Bronx like 10 or 15 years from now? Yeah, the hipsters I mean, haven't even discovered the Bronx yet. Yeah, and it's vast and there's a lot of yeah. stuff there. I, I think the the final side in the in the Christian Bible, the book of Revelation, Never is when it. Staten Island gets hot. Oh. That's like, okay, the Antichrist. Never it's all mind. over. That's yeah, practically please. New Jersey. New Jersey yeah. can keep Crown it. Heights, Brooklyn, yeah. it used to be either you were an Orthodox Jew or you were black. Right. That were the yeah. only And you were people. running each other over. Exactly. Right. Sometimes you, you're Ooh. a black Orthodox mm. Jew. Very few. Yes, yeah, some. But now is it that the Orthodox Jews people. don't drive very well? Or it's like it, it turns, it you happened know, the once. clocks... The clock flips and it's it's Friday <laughs> night and it's like I gotta let go of the wheel. Oh my you know? god! Where's no, my drive? Hurry, hurry to get home uh, before know, Shabbos. Once. It happened once. How many times did nine eleven happen? What? You know, depends, once is too much. Who you ask? Some it's people. So think. Uh, my I uh, got my PhD in nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. What was okay. the topic of your thesis? It was called uh, Qualified Authority in American Literature or American Fiction. Oh. And it was, uh, God, what was the subtitle? Uh, qualified, um, Participant Observers and Market Orders. And wow. it was a study, uh, not a very good one, but uh, an in- uh, interesting in parts about how a variety of 19th and 20th century texts reflect the uh, anxiety that is caused by a by liberal orders. Uh, mm. And by that, I mean, you know, kind of political, economic, and cultural systems, especially where individuals have a vast amount of um, ability to choose how to live and, huh. and what to do. And so, I mean, that all sounds kind of vague. And I, I use, no, like, I, I there's, a, there's a trope of, you know, the participant observer narrator that's very strong in American literature, whether it's fiction or non, but like Ben Franklin's autobiography mm. uh, is, is a good example of this, or Frederick Douglass's autobiography, mm. or um, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, particularly mm-hmm. in a book called The Blythdale Romance. And, you you know, they're, they're powerful figures because they can talk about personal experience. Like, I'm an eyewitness, but then that also casts real questions on the reliability because, mm. like, you're only one person and you're right. self-interested. We're always selling in America. And the, the good chapter of that is uh, I did a, a look at the uh, at the Great Gatsby um, from the point of view of a, uh, an economic analysis, from hmm. the point of view of Joseph Schumpeter, who's a, an economist who coined, who came up with the concept of creative destruction about how what is what is unique about capitalism or market orders is that they are always changing and in response to demand or anticipating mm-hmm. demand. And it means that people cannot stay on top very long economically or mm-hmm. culturally or politically or whatever. And the, I read The Great Gatsby as the breakdown of that in WASP America as mm. all of these fucking people, you know, not coincidentally, my grandparents, the, the book is set in like 1921. I was published in 25. And it's like this mass migration of blacks from the South into New York, right. of Jews and Catholics, you know, Italians, Irish, Slavs, Greeks, into New right. York and Nick Carraway and Jay Gatsby and Daisy and Tom Buchanan are mm-hmm. these super wasps who can't hack it. And for me, that's the the, the great character in that there's a um, a gangster figure who's based on a real guy named Meyer Wolfsheim who who actually makes Gatsby and he's a he's right. a bootlegger. He's you know he rigs the World Series and Meyer Wolfsheim who 
is described by F. Scott Fitzgerald in the most disgusting literary anti-Semitic terms. He has sharp fangs and (laughs) hair growing out of like hair growing out of the hair growing out of his ears and nose. And he wears uh, cufflinks of made of human molars. He's just a, you know, he's subhuman, but he's actually the moral center of the book. Hmm. He's the only one who actually helps Gatsby when he needs it. And he's also, I would argue, and this is the libertarian in me, you know, he was also providing, you know, booze and vices that people wanted. He, unlike all the Nick Carraways and the Buchanans who Mm -hmm. were just, you know, these ossified old douchebags from, you know, landed uh, money. And there's this, you know, and, and again, what's fascinating is that Nick Carraway and, and actually F. Scott Fitzgerald didn't understand the story they were telling. And, there's this elegiac passage at the end of The Great Gatsby where Nick, you know, he's he he says at some point towards the end, like after Gatsby's, uh, you know, spoiler alert, after Gatsby's <laughs> shot. Right. Uh, it's really spoiler an argument alert. not to have a pool at home, you know, because you, you get in a pool, you know somebody's going to die. So um, but uh, Caraway says, you know, I now see that we, this is a story about Westerners, and he means Midwesterners. Fitz, Fitzgerald was almost uh, mentally retarded when it came to like very basic facts about things. But right. he says, you know, and, we, and we, we were not fit for life in the East, by which he means the city, and he means the modern city where hmm. immigrants come and, and capitalism upends, like you have to hustle mm-hmm. every day. And you I have like I need to reread this now. It's really great. Lens. But then he says, you know, I think of like going home and the th- uh, going through Chicago, like, you know, leaving Yale. He goes to Yale right. and uh, going through Chicago and then going to Minnesota and, you know, the, the, the towns of the Midwest of his youth where families live in houses or people live in houses that are known by family names for generations. It's this very stolid, yeah. hierarchical, fixed society. And, you know, and he he's, you know, kind of misty-eyed about this. And it's like, fuck you. Right. You, know, you, you lost. <laughs> you lost America. Um, and, um, you know, and you they lost did. it to people who were hungrier and hustling and also willing to kind of change and develop. And right. so to me, you know, it's, it's, it's an antagonistic reading of The Great Gatsby against what is usually perceived as the author's intent, hmm. um, which I think is fine. I'm a, a postmodern. We could talk about that. Uh, if <laughs> postmodernism we is not even on our list. We have so many things to yeah. talk about. Okay, but, so enough uh, on wow, that. But that, So you, you were going to ask me uh, what book to read. I was going to. The Great Gatsby is a fucking great book, and it actually speaks to a lot of current controversies. And it's now. short, so even yeah, better. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's wonderful. Um, there's an essay, if you go to reason.com, Google Nick Gillespie and like something like The Great Gatsby's Creative Destruction. There's an essay that I wrote um, that's based on my dissertation chapter, and I'm also very oh. proud that that uh, that essay is talked about in the Wikipedia page of the Great Gatsby. Oh, and oh, I only cool. wish that people like Leslie Fiedler and my dissertation advisor, who is also Jewish from Newark, uh, Mark Schechner, mm. uh, was alive to see that, as well as um, uh, God. There's a, a, actually all of my dissertation committee. We're uh, all from Jews from New York. They were Newark? all not not from Newark and not from New Jersey, but they were. Yeah, it was three Jews. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You might say we're everywhere. Oh, and then out the outside reader was a was a guy from Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> well, you need to have you know diversity mm-hmm. of voices. Diversity. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so I wanted funny. to ask that was, you yeah, how Ken Dauber and Marcus Klein. I'm sure they're listening to this. <laughs> I'm sure they, they are. They're big. They're yeah. our biggest fans. Yeah. Elle, have you how... ever read The Great Gatsby, or did you just watch the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> yeah. I did. Tell us the I truth. Did. 
both of those things. You did. Yeah. I remember being surprised at how often they drive into New York because I thought the people that live in Long Island don't drive into the city a lot. Uh, this is, you know, it's a different time. And, you know, <laughs> they, no when, you, when you have a car with a horn that goes, ooga, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get in it as often as you can. This is true. Uh, there's a great moment, by the way. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, I... I did not, when I was growing up, I didn't think of myself as like the product of immigrants, um, even though most of the people, I grew up in Middletown, New Jersey, which is about mm -hmm. 50 miles from here towards the start of the uh, ocean. And almost everybody I knew had at least one grandparent, if not more, and sometimes a parent who didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. And I just took that for granted. And then as I got older, I was like, wow, this is a unique, it's not that it's unique, it's actually quite common, but this is meaningful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, and that persists. And that actually, for me as a libertarian, like people will talk about, like, what do libertarians care about? And it's always like, you know, drugs, sex, right. rock and roll, that right. kind of stuff, which, all of which is true. But for me, immigration yeah. and the uh, the ability of people to come here mm -hmm. is like so basic and important to me. And it pains me that we're in a moment of anti-immigration sentiment. because. Yeah. This country is made great by the people who come here in the same way that New York is kind of made great mm -hmm. by the bridge and tunnel crowd. It's made great by the people who move here. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and the immigrants yeah. are often, you know, that they have, they come with these preconceived notions of America, mm -hmm. um, like I did in a way. So I think it's it gives us a very unique point of view and mm -hmm. already come to this country with a love for this country with yeah. some kind of like, we're so happy to be here mm -hmm. mentality, which I fear that a lot of people who are born and raised here kind of take for granted. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. And Absolutely. then it, but it's, and it, yeah. And it's also, it's great. I mean, you come with a different set of experiences and energy and then it adds. You and know, all this our is, delicious food. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's a, a very high degree of patriotism in the Orthodox community because we came from Eastern Europe mostly and other parts of the world. Yeah. And people just really appreciate the, liberty that we have here we don't take it for granted right it's yeah, not well, this like is the one only one of the only places where jews don't get killed on yeah regular it's, basis. right and yeah, also but then, we don't, but it's then not you have to live in lakehurst right lakehurst new jersey <laughs> lake you know, wood. hindenburg lake wood lakehurst. Lake wood. <laughs> well it's next to the lake it's a small Air price to pay uh, yeah. it's better than i don't know it's and it's near tom's it's river Tom's river is now yeah. all orthodox yes, yeah and, yes. and muslim right i love the fact that like okay jews and muslims you can yeah. move anywhere kind of I and know. like you always end up like I'll eat cheek halal, to jowl chicken yeah it's nostalgic for us but, um, but you know them. that the the question about immigrants and i also think it's it's also people moving around the country like mm -hmm. i um, mm -hmm. i i did an incredible circuit to end up back in new york i was gone for 30 years and i wandered the country I'll say it. I wandered the country like a Jew wandering Europe <laughs> after after killing Christ, right? You know, we all bear our, wow. our cross for things. I but, thought you were going to say wandered the um, desert. No, Fact but like check misinformation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, even the Catholic Church doesn't believe that anymore. So it's like, you you're, know. you're um, alone in that. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, but, um, you know, like that is, it's powerful and it's meaningful and yeah. it just enriches everything. And I just wish that we were more in a place where where Americans, you know, us, I, I guess you were born, you were born in Brooklyn, right? I was right? born and, here, and yeah. Yeah, you yeah. were obviously born in Israel. But like, I wish, you know, Native Americans, people born here could just kind of relax and say, yeah. whatever we have is not going to go away and it's not threatened by people coming here. It's actually enriched and enlarged and rejuvenated. Yeah. Just, you know. yeah, I think people are concerned about kind of whatever, what they 
see as like American morals and values and people coming to this country who defy them. And I think it's quite the opposite. A lot of times people are coming from, excuse me, shithole countries are Mm -hmm. coming because my parents, grandparents, yeah, Ireland and and Italy in, in, you know, early 20th century. And uh, a couple of years ago when Steve King, who's this idiot, former congressman, I guess from Iowa, you know, and he said he was, he was, uh, and it was great because he was using an argument from a Dutch politician, uh, Gert Wilders, who's just a mm-hmm. yeah. total piece of garbage. Ugh. Big fan you of know, the Jews. Saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, you know, <laughs> saying that like you can't save your civilization with someone else's babies. And I was Ugh. like, I was like, <laughs> fuck that, that inflamed me. And then I was like, okay, you know, when you have strong emotions, you, you kind of figure out, okay, what's, what's that, what nerve is that stroking or something? And I was like, I realized my parents, where someone else, I choke up thinking about this. My parents were someone else's babies. Mm. Right. My mother didn't speak English until she went to grammar school, and then not so great after, uh, even. Uh, but they, you know, my my father, her brothers fought in World War II and in right. Korea. And wait, on which side? Uh, yeah, that's, well, <laughs> I'll tell you a story about that in a second. But like, no, you know, and this this is mind blowing. My fucking uh, Italian uncle John Guida invaded <laughs> Italy. Wow. As the, wow. a part of the ally forces, That's you know, and it's like his father left Italy to avoid military service, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And then he's proud that his son is fucking invading, you know, so there's all kinds of weird ironies and stuff like that. But it's like, no, actually someone else's babies like saved yeah. American civilization. And that's always the case. We have a friend, I, I won't name him, I won't out him, but his um, father-in-law is Vietnamese. And he said once he asked his father-in-law if he wants to go camping. And he's like, why? I, I can live in a tent in Vietnam. Why would I? Yeah. I he's like, I have Target here. I have Costco here. Why right. would I want to go camping? But it, it reminds uh, so, me, Nick, your story reminds me of yeah. my great grandfather who came here from Eastern Europe, from Poland, and was a very Orthodox Jew and would, could not find a job that would, it, would allow him to take off for Shabbat. And he would yeah. literally quit and his job. And your father was Sandy Koufax. Yes, Sandy <laughs> <laughs> Right. I wish. Or Hank Greenberg. She's very Thailand, very, very good. Sandy Koufax was, he was really good looking and he was really, he's like one of the last American kind of muscular Jews. And the funny thing is he did one small thing and the Jewish people treat him like Moses. Like it's hilarious. He missed one game. And I mean, that's it. Like, and I, I've spent my whole life being Orthodox. And if I screw up one time, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Then I think about Sandy Koufax. He did one thing right, and we treat him like a hero. Do you think that worked when he went to heaven? Do you think God, like, kind of, you know... Yeah, God met him at the gates and was like, good game. No, 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 he's going to hell. I happen to know this because I've read the sequel to the Bible. (laughs) The good news. You know, sorry, Sandy uh, Koufax is burning in a lake of fire, begging God to kill him. Sandy Koufax is playing a wonderful game of baseball in a field that is beautiful in heaven. The field of dreams. That's right, yeah, with with Joe Jackson. (laughs) But Nick, I wanted to ask you how your work on your dissertation, Mm -hmm. how your work at... um, what was it? A Teen, Teen Machine, Machine magazine yeah, yeah. helped oh you kind of oh, yeah. shape now your dissertation in English. Machine, yeah. And this is the big, this is really why we, we called you here. We're not, yeah. I don't really know what a libertarian is. <laughs> right. 
and yeah, we're not really it's a big you know, scam. Interested they don't know either, it's a tax so. designation. Yeah, <laughs> some podcast. I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Uh, but we really want to talk yeah. to you about your time. Yeah. So okay. At Teen Machine Magazine. Yeah. So I uh, graduated college. I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick, a fantastic school where I got a fantastic education. And a couple of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. But, you know, that could happen anywhere, really. Especially That uh, was the 80s, you know, and like, you know, it was only herpes. So at that point, everybody was like, oh, it's herpes. Nobody cares. <laughs> now, I did not gain any sexually transmitted diseases. That came later. That, that was going to be our that scoop on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, That's no, going to be uh, what we're going to But uh, yeah. uh, So I, I was always interested in culture, like, you know, and by that, I just mean like, you know, art, music, video, TV, uh, things Beverly like that. Beverly Hills, 90210, things yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I interviewed uh, Shannon Doherty back in the day. <gasps> oh, wow. And I think I also interviewed, um, oh God, who was the... Um, Jason not Priestley. Luke, not Luke Perry, yeah, Jason, Jason Priestley, Priestley, I think, who had that hair. Yes. Like, he could he could hide Ugh. so many things, like, in the way that was hair was, wave. like, yes. the big wave. But Luke yeah. Perry had the James Dean hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what I, was uh, your— Luke Perry was wonderful, too. He seemed like a really good human being, and he it's did. sad, like, he— you know, uh, he's dead. Like I, just, I know. Oh. But, 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 how do you so, say um, B- BDE? <laughs> Both the animate. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I taught Paya the other day that uh, the, what she says um, when somebody dies, it's actually shorthand for big dick energy. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So, She's okay. a great but Luke Perry. So how does, <laughs> I, I was talking with a Jewish author named Laura Kipnis, who you guys should have on oh, uh, sometime. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. She has a book out called Love cool. in the Time of Contagion. I was interviewing her for a Reason interview podcast, Reason interview with Nick with Gillespie, okay. featuring <laughs> Nick Gillespie, <laughs> uh, who's me. Say That's more. amazing. Uh, but she, in her a book she was talking about how like you know, the me too movement came along and then like the same year or the, the year after like big dick energy became a thing and then it was like wet ass pussy it's mm. and it's like we're in this kind of weird ping pong match between wet ass pussy and big dick I energy know. and it's yeah. like yeah although I, bi- I i am such a big fan of of big dick energy as a concept yeah because take the take the sexual part out of it right what it really means is somebody has something inside that only they know about that's hidden and that's the kind of energy that they bring into the world. Like I know something it's like about a myself. Twelve-year-old girl's version of it. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry, but like what the is whole, your it's, version it's of it? Hit, it's it's sheathed, no. but it's like the big dick. It's like but it's, it's the, the rock star, you know, cock and pocket. No, no. The idea is that I walk into a room, yeah. with my big dick, yeah. and I bring that energy to the room right. because I know something about myself. Yeah. That presumably the other people in the room don't know. But then you exude And I'm going to write a dissertation charisma. about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, I think now that we're talking <laughs> about Big Dick Energy, it's a good thing to talk about teen magazines. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, what's great about the oh old teen God. magazine. So I worked for a company uh, that published, among other things, uh, Teen Machine, which is, is when I first got the job there after graduating college, I'd been out for a couple of years. I, I loved, you know, right. I was a, an entertainment editor at my college newspaper, the Daily Targum, which like every college newspaper east of the Mississippi yeah. claims to be the oldest continuously published <laughs> so college true. newspaper in America. But this one was really it. it I mean, it's, it's got a pretty good claim on it. But uh, in any case, Teen Machine, I was like, that sounds like a fucking porno magazine from <laughs> Scandinavia. Or is it a or machine something. that creates teenagers? No, or? I, I, it's like the Teen Machine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, God. you know, the machine. I don't know. But in any it's case. so um, weird. 
Yeah. So uh, what was great, you know, teens, teen magazines, especially then, but still now it's like, you know, they're uh, the Simpsons used to parody them by saying they, Lisa read a uh, magazine called non-threatening uh, yeah. teen magazine. Yeah, and she also yes. loved a Corey. She called yeah. the Corey hotline. That's yeah. right. Yeah. No. And I, I am like, I, I liken this, you know, how Philippe Petit, uh, you know, was the only person to walk between the twin towers and mm-hmm. the incredible yes. movie, Man, Man on, on Wire, Wire, which yes. I think, I choke up thinking about this and I wrote a long reason essay about this. I think that is the most successful work of art commemorating 9-11 and and, and specifically the destruction of the towers. And it pins, you know, like that's a once in a lifetime thing. And after the towers are destroyed, like they can never be destroyed again. And in the same way, Man on Wire, Philippe Petit, and I remember this as a kid, it was a sign that New York was just batshit crazy. But like he you know, he's the only person who could walk it's between the Twin Towers mm-hmm. and it's stunning and beautiful and sad. And I'm like that. Yeah. What I'm getting at is I'm <laughs> like that with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman because oh. I interviewed them both. Yeah. And nobody can ever do that again. Yeah. Because Corey Haim is dead. Can they, they, and Corey Feldman, I don't think, is talking to the press. Right. Uh, but um, what happened yeah, to them? And well, how are they sh- so fucked up? Uh, well, you know, Drugs, this is sexual assault. Well, yeah. Corey Feldman, to his credit, um, you know, he he wrote a book and he was trying to get a story out. He was claiming that there is, you know, systematic child abuse of teen male mm-hmm. teen stars, even more than than female. Right. Um, and that he and Corey Haim especially were sexually assaulted. He actually made claims. I don't know if I can say, I, I guess I can. It's not my claim. I don't know if it's true yeah. or not. But he said that, you know, Charlie Sheen right. yeah. uh, consistently raped that. Corey but, Haim on the But Corey the, Haim's the mother said that's Luke. not true. Yeah, but, you know, who knows, right? And yeah. by the way, Charlie Lucas, Sheen that knows. movie, that, oh, that movie is phenomenal. I it love is a fantastic movie. movie. It's and one then of my favorites. Yeah, and then it becomes this, you know, I like, know. I mean, you're, it's like, you know, fucking last tango in Paris or something like, you don't know. know, like, was there a crime being committed to produce this work of art? And I don't think any work of art is, you know, worth a crime like that. Right. Um, but um, so that's why they were fucked up, right. you know, uh, and and I saw this like Teen Machine uh, and Super Teen, which was the other bigger teen magazine that my uh, the the company magazine. I worked at, yeah. uh, you know, which was bigger, but like we were on the periphery of this. Um, but you could see there's a lot of seediness in anything yeah. related to the entertainment industry. Yeah. And, you know, what, what came out in me too, where you see a kind of, if not ritualized or systematic, it is a kind of taken for granted. There's a transactional nature of Hollywood mm-hmm. about sexuality and access and success and it's bad enough, you know, when it's adults and, you know, there are right. times where, you know, young women or older women and men and stuff, you know, they're, they're trading right. sex or, or they're trading a Favors. lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, seems, that's disturbing. But yeah. then when you, the you know, if you bring that down to, yeah. And there's a lot of parents who are fucked up. You know, right. and there's a lot of there's a lot of hangers on. Well, the money blinds like people even to yeah. crimes being committed against their own kids. I mean, I think about yeah. the Michael Jackson kids, yeah. right? And those stories. I don't know if allegedly, it's true or not. Allegedly. Right. Well, but regardless. You know what's fascinating, by the way, Corey Feldman, you know, who was friends with Michael Jackson. Right. Yeah. He used to like when I was working in the teen mags and this was like 80 six to 88 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he has been explicit in saying like, no, he never saw anything bad. Yeah, right. I thought, I think Macaulay Culkin but said regardless, that too. But I mean, even yeah. if Michael Jackson ever did anything physical with yeah. them, I mean, the fact that their parents were allowing them to sleep yeah. over and travel and yeah. talk well, on the I phone think, with him all night. I mean, that's right. 
it's there's Hussein. something off. It's yeah. Hussein. Then, you have four sons. I would never allow that. Yeah. I don't care how famous your, the person your sons was. aren't good. You wouldn't good let your enough. if Come Tom on. Brady. <laughs> Who are you kidding? If Tom Brady, he hasn't asked. You haven't gotten the call so from like That's Tito. So if Tom Brady Tito came and or said, Jermaine Jackson, I said Dovid is really Dovid is really showing some promise. I'd love to take him to Mexico with me for a football camp. Yeah, I would say you want my five foot one Jewish kid. No. Like, I'll come hang out with you, but you know, yeah. not my kid. Well, I think back back then it was also probably like, I feel like these kids were so like curated and, you know, kind of, I don't know if created by the studios, but everything, every aspect of their um, time in the limelight was seemed very kind of organized and curated by someone. And these kids that come up today, these TikTok stars, oh, yeah. you know, and maybe they're pushed into it by their parents or whatnot, but... At the very least, something to say about what's going on today is they, they do have more of a control over their their public appearances. Uh, you know, I, I thank you for bringing this up. And you had suggested this as a topic, like what's the difference? It's it's fascinating. And especially being, you know, uh, uh, have you guys read um, um, bleh, blanking uh, uh, Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West, which no. is a no. great satire of. Hollywood in the 30s. Oh, cool. And it's about hangers on, uh, you know, who are on the edges of Hollywood. And, and you know, I that's kind of the teen mag world mm-hmm. is something like that. And, but even also, like, I, what I loved about it, and this goes to my dissertation, when I, I, I like deconstruction, which is a kind of method of reading mm-hmm. texts and, mm-hmm. and kind of thinking about the world. But you see how images, uh, you know, both as a single image, but then also as a, a kind of larger public persona are, mm-hmm. are created. And I can remember, for instance, like we used to get these massive sheets from Ron Galella and other kinds of paparazzi organizations where, you know, they had auto winders on cameras and you would get like, you know, 500 photos mm-hmm. to find wow. one that might be good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I bring this up because there was one I remember looking at a packet of stuff and it was Mel Gibson before he was known as a super friend of the Jews yes. or something, super right? And he yeah. also loves the Mayans, right? I mean, yes. he was on the Mayan side, right? He's anti-city, which is one of the reasons he's anti-Semitic, <laughs> right? It's not because his fault. Jews, he's Australian. Yeah, well, he's actually, he was born in America and then his father moved to Australia <laughs> partly to avoid his the degradation of America. His father yeah. was a great guy. I mean, yeah, a real yeah. lovely fellow. But so there was this long sequence of Mel Gibson walking next to a pool and he had to, like two bodyguards next to him and he has a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other and he is like, I don't even think he's wearing a shirt. He just has like jeans on. And he is totally fucked up. And there's like maybe 50 pictures. Sounds and it hot. ends, the sequence ends with him falling into the pool. Oh, I love but it. in the middle of that, there was a picture that was just Mel Gibson fucking, you know, world's sexiest man. And you were like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, but seeing everything around it, like you get a sense that of yeah. how amazing. this is created and yeah. whatnot. And I kind of want to buy all those snapshots and like oh put God, them up yeah. in my apartment. Yeah. That would be a beautiful like it's, it's piece ama- of art. And you can do that with all sorts of things. So to your point, one thing that is interesting, uh, and and this company, I work, the one one of the companies I worked for was called Sterling's Magazines, and they published Modern Screen, which is one of the oldest movie magazines. It started in like 1930. They were one of the principal places where all those Joan Crawford picnics with mm. her adopted kids were taken and staged. Oh my God. And they had this great morgue, a, a library of, of old articles and photos. And we could go back and look and everybody, you know, like Mommy Dearest had just come right. out and we were all like, and it was so amazing to see all the staging stuff. By the 80s, 
the studios had in many ways lost control of image making yeah. in, in a way compared to like, say, the 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. Right. And I see that as a triumph of technology and the end of gatekeeper culture. I'm a, you know, I'm a libertarian, so I believe mm-hmm. in decentralized power, knowledge, information throughout a system. But it's so it was breaking down. And it was also these were like last gasp attempts to kind of create a public persona. What is interesting about today's social media in a lot of ways is that it allows the star, whether Mm -hmm. they're big or small, a direct access to an audience, which is different. It's easier to do. You could do it in the past, but it was harder, but it's easier now. But it's also what's great to me. Like, I don't give a shit about stars. I care about audience. I care about. And we have as audience people, we have also like so individuals have an unprecedented ability to kind of project the image they want to project Mm -hmm. through social media and through other things. But the audience has, and this for me is what's key, and this goes into everything I do at Reason and everything in my dissertation and like my whole worldview, we have unprecedented power to recontextualize, decontextualize, misappropriate, reappropriate images and meaning to what we want. Mm -hmm. And I love, one of the things that I love, I've read a long essay about this on Twitter, uh, you know, like people are like, okay, you know, Bill Cosby, when he was making right. his comeback before he got canceled, he was like, you know, he had a Twitter feed and like his Twitter feed was like, hey, you know, uh, you know, Bill Cosby's coming back. Like post your favorite pictures mm-hmm. of Bill Cosby sweaters from the Cosby show. Yeah. You know, what are your favorites? And then immediately, because uh, Hannibal Burris had made these public claims, which had been known about, I, I have a master's from Temple, which is where Dr. Yeah. Cosby got oh, his yeah, PhD. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Not yeah, a I, Temple, so, I Yeah, temple. I have, yeah, te- I have, I have a degree of, you know, from Rutgers, Temple, and Buffalo. And Buffalo, Harvey Weinstein went there. Temple, it was Bill Cosby. <laughs> and then who wow, was it? There was man. another, like, Someone major canceled guy Rutgers. at Rutgers. Yeah, no, and I was like, okay, this is a trifecta. <laughs> but, so Bill Cosby's doing that. And then immediately, there was like thousands of responses of him like in those shitty sweaters from that horrible Cosby show. That was like the number one show in mm-hmm. the 80s. And it was just like, oh, yeah, this is my raping sweater. Yeah. You know, don't I look good? And like, so the same oh technology that gives Bill Cosby the ability to speak directly to his fans gives the fans the ability to speak back. Yeah. Well, I and would, what I, a wonderful time in human history to be true. where, you know, and I mean, podcasting is like this. What had it done? I mean, we look were, at us. We're huge now. And we just started this by yeah, ourselves. Now you guys are the next oh, yeah. Bill Cosby. When you get canceled, <laughs> it is going to be Inshallah. hard and fast. And Inshallah. you're going to be barely conscious. We'll true. be the next. No, but. It's it is a, a, an incredible moment to be alive, where this ability to kind of converse and talk is so dispersed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, if I may jump a little bit to another topic, I think we had talked about. Like, so now we're you know right now a big conversation that culture you know culturally we're having is about wokeism and yeah. about people being shouted down. And you know, the New York Times had a, an yeah. op-ed, uh, you know, a House editorial. Today, talking about cancel culture is real. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. The comments to that were fascinating to me. Yeah, but it's, you know, and I think cancel culture is real. I wrote a long uh, feature for Reason that came out either earlier this year or late last year uh, called An Anatomy of Mm -hmm. Cancel Culture. And, um, you know, it is real. But part of it is also because more voices are in the conversation because they can be, because everybody has a microphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think 
we need to separate out that, which is fantastic and great and truly liberating. And it delivers on the promise, a kind of libertarian promise of America where you get to define yourself, you get to speak, you get to participate on your terms from specific elements of kind of woke culture, which are an attempt to reimpose two or three or four cultural identities. But what worries me about that, Nick, but I do worry about something because, you know, people like Harvey Weinstein, I'm going to say something dark right now, and I apologize to our listeners, but Harvey Weinstein may have been a monster, but he was very talented at, you know, at making great films. And I think like we're suffering because we get to know too much about people in whether it's comedy or movie making or whatever it is, there was like a distance. I think that distance was healthy in a way because I don't want to know all the background of everyone. I want their art, right? I want to see great films. I want to hear great music. But I you don't, don't want to, you don't want to watch do, shape. Though. First off, let me, uh, if I may, let me push back on this in a couple of ways that I, I think are legitimate. And I think we fundamentally agree actually, but like no Shakespeare in love, yeah. You know, which won an Academy Award for Best Picture. Right. Like no, no animals, no baby chicks, much less human beings should have been, you know, raped in order to produce that. Like it's I just agree. not worth it. Okay? Right. No, that's true. Um, right. I Rape agree with that. you. That's well, true. And, and there's also the distance, though. And this is where instead of flattening things, let's try and be more nuanced. So Harvey Weinstein, nothing you know, nothing, uh, he, I don't know what movie he could have produced, you know, maybe Roadhouse or Point yeah. Break to, to say, okay, it's okay that he could be a vile sexual criminal and that we're okay with that. Um, whereas like, so he's just, he's out, he's, right. he's, he's beyond the pale. Let's take the average run of the mill asshole. Pale. But right. then you take like Aziz Ansari, whose right. work I don't particularly care for anymore. Right. Like he mm-hmm. really peaked with the first season of Master of None. But the story that came out about him, he was kind of a dick yeah. on a date, but not even really. I mean, it's like, and yeah. like we, we, we as a society, uh, we should be mature enough to be able to distinguish among these things. And I agree, like, I don't want to know, you know, I just watched for another podcast I'm taping because, you know, as the you host a- of The Reason Interview with Nick Gillespie, <laughs> a lot of people want to talk to me. That's right. Uh, but I, I watched Network, you know, the 1976 Patty oh, yeah. mm-hmm. movie, which is so bad. But William Holden is, you know, he's the he's the hero of that. And he's a sanctimonious jackass who, by the way, is 58 in that movie, the same age as I am. And he wow. looks a hundred years older than me. <laughs> That's so crazy. I, another sign that this crazy. is the one best time yeah. to be alive, right? Yes, yes. But, you know, he he was an alcoholic who died right. because he went on a drunk and he smacked his head on his bed and then like died because, you know, like he was drunk and couldn't get up and That's somebody so found sad. him a couple days later. Right. And it's like, do you want to know that? I mean, he's not, well, and actually he also, he pulled a Matthew Broderick and he killed somebody while drunk driving oh. in Italy. Like, do you want to know that or you, you don't? But we knew you know, about like this I, stuff I, before I know social media. But you I, know? Think, I mean, those stories always existed, even yeah. like in your in your teen magazine days. And and also before that, people knew when celebrities were behaving badly. Like I just went down this yeah. rabbit hole of Don Rickles YouTube clips. Yeah. And <laughs> Mr. Warren. He was so hilarious, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, you watch a clip of him with Ronald Reagan. I mean, where he's yeah. insulting the president. I mean, he said, yeah. it, it, I think he was governor at the time and right. Don Rickles says, oh, he's pissed I'm here because he just found out that Ava Braun was two-timing him. 
I mean, right. could you imagine yeah. a, a, a comedian great. saying that today yeah. to the press? I love it, right? And part of it is that people were assholes, like, and it's okay. But today, I agree like, with that completely. I, but I, I like, think I think we have a high tolerance for that. I, I agree, uh, you know? but, we're, but our culture, I think, is trying to like you know make everyone these like peace loving wonderful yeah. sensitive I, I think people see people. it in a way that people look at at the world as a small community right so let's say we're we're three people here and we're a small community and we have to repopulate the planet and we have to repopulate so, okay. on it yeah. i'm no. doing my part no they're gone they're gone that because poor uh, libertarian bombs, planet yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, but if Kailea <laughs> says something offensive to Nick, yeah. you know, we would probably come to some kind of agreement that maybe you shouldn't say that, even though it's your right. Yeah. But people look at this in a global scale and think we're all one big community. So, you know, one person can't hurt the feelings of another person on the Internet. And that's not the way the yeah. world works. Yeah. I, and that I, I'm not too worried about that for like the wokeness stuff. Yeah. Uh, what what bothers me um, on a certain level is that we um you know, we're in an era where more and more, partly because we're more connected, we can see every everybody around the globe. And again, this is the delivery on technology and kind of reality that we had dreamed about. Like, you know, yeah. uh, you know, when um, the first picture of of Earth from the space only came up in the late 60s because right. uh, Stuart Brand, the creator of the whole Earth catalog, like demanded it from NASA and, and said, you know, why why haven't we mm -hmm. seen a picture of the whole Earth yet? And that changes the way we think about things. But we're at an era, we're in an era where people can be more individualized than ever. And like, mm -hmm. and what bothers me about wokeness, uh, and it cuts across racial lines, ethnic lines, class lines, mm -hmm. uh, gender lines, like where it's like, no, we we can only be, you know, when we're talking about race, you can only be black or even like maybe just like BIPOC or white. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly like Asians are being pulled into whiteness. They could be, you know, Jews super, can be both actually. Yeah, no, I mean, Jews are, and Italians used to be both, yeah. right? I mean, when my grandparents came over, of it's course. great. They're, they're on the ship's manifest at Ellis Island, which you can get online. Uh, thank you to Lee Iacocca, who's <laughs> a horrible human being and a terrible car maker. Uh, but he he ran the nonprofit that digitized these records. But my, my grandfather's complexion is noted. And really? Not, what is it? it? It's, uh, you know, it's like dusky or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's great. like, uh, you know, he, I mean, most Italians who came to America came from Southern Italy and they were, you know. Well, Bill Schultz, uh, who was here, told yeah. us, surprisingly, Very not dusky. a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, told us a story about his father who was in Vietnam and um, and when the, the black platoon showed up and they they thought he they were, he was one of their guys. Yeah. And he was, I don't know what it, Bill is Italian or something like that. Everybody's German, right? He's yeah. got to be with the know. name they're, like Schultz. They're all, they're yeah. all the same. But I understand to you, uh, to you, uh, sons all of Abraham. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the question, the question uh, no, I want to. What I was going to say is that it's like, you know, so instead of we're at a moment now where I think we are, you know, we're smarter, we're more educated, I think we're better looking, certainly <laughs> present company included. No, and we should be. We should be getting more sophisticated and nuanced and of saying mm -hmm. like, no, you know what, like what, what I, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, whose kids are going to be multiracial and right. why not embrace that rather than saying, no, you either have to be black or white. Yeah. Um, you have to be male or female. And like, we're not going to allow people to talk about the complexity to me that the, the original sin of wokeness is not that people have strong feelings about identity, but that it's an attempt to really stratify and make rigid 
the categories that are considered right. acceptable. Yeah, in I love the idea of putting the onus on us. And I was just listening to a podcast today that was talking about. Lack was of, it the reason interview with Nicholas? Uh, no, I what, what is that on? Uh, you know, it's I, I. You know, it should have its own internet. Really, it should have its own blockchain. <laughs> it's, it's on its own. Yeah. 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 Um, it was uh, similar, Mary Wise. Yeah. Okay. And um, it, it was fascinating uh, interview with Yuval Levine. Yeah. And he was talking about wow. So they had an impersonator. What? Ooh. Yeah, I don't think Yuval was that interesting. You do? Oh, well, I think wow. Barry was interesting, but um, I thought he yeah. was very interesting. Okay. Uh, that's who's probably because you, that? you hate you hate Israelis. Is that why? I don't hate Israelis. Okay. Yeah, who's <laughs> Yuval Levine? Um, I don't know what his background <laughs> is. I've heard him before. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, he talks. He talked a bit about like uh, um, kind of the Martin Gurry esque uh, yeah. lack wow. of trust in institutions, mm-hmm. but how eventually the responsibility is on the populace, and the more. I and when you said the populists, mm-hmm. people, not the, populists. No, no, people. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot about uh, social media and, you know, uh, issues of uh, censoring in terms of service and fake news. And the more I think about it, the more I come back to the solution being within us. So we have oh, to absolutely. learn to read information yeah. differently and we have to learn what to share and what not to share as opposed to uh, companies or governments kind of deciding for us. And yeah. that's the harder way. It's a less fun way. But I also think it's happening. I think people today are already starting to evolve Absolutely. and are already sharing less and less misinformation. I don't have data, but I, I was listening to a podcast about, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. And um, yet what's never yours again? the reason interview. I listen to you. Gillespie. You know what? Because it's, it's, it. it's, it's there, there's a bit of a catch-22 here because yeah. I only want to listen to podcasts that interview you. Right. But you're never going to be on the yeah. recent interview with Nicholas. You know what? I, I'm got, I'm, we're coming out for premium content where we just get rid of the guests. So it's yes. just me talking. Yeah. We double yeah. track everything. That's what uh, I do with Kyle Sometimes I cut her out and it's just uh, me. Yeah. Sam Harris you. does that. Yeah. He yeah, talks no, to himself true. sometimes. He's less uh, and less interesting, though, because he that's is true. just it's oh, he like can, monologuing. He can, he can know, talk so. to me whenever he wants. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. short Jewish men? Come on. There's, short Jewish men are kind of There's great, a demographic. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I mean, there's a lot to choose look, from. Look right? at Zelensky. You go to the under on match.com, like yeah. you just <laughs> say, I want somebody under 5'6", and then you don't even have to specify but, but the it religion. To, right? It has to be a neuroscientist, yeah. yeah. There's a story in the Orthodox. He's not a neuroscientist. <laughs> yes, uh, can he I is. just say, Martin Gurry, Martin Gurry's also book, Jewish. The Revolt of the Public, uh, mm-hmm. is an absolutely essential uh, Brilliant work. Brilliant book. It is. And, um, but, you know, part of that is also that um, the trust and confidence, I, I write a lot about the the move from high trust to low trust in societies and what does that do? And Gurry is just fantastic on this. Yeah. It's not going to go away and it's going, it creates a lot of um, possibilities for kind of liberation and for freedom, but it has a lot of negative consequences. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. What, what is going on now, and you see this, you know, in the Canadian truckers thing. I, I did mm-hmm. a video for Reason about how, you know, the Canadian trucker revolt is emblematic of the type of pushback that Gurry was calling, you know, he was saying this is going to be happening more and more in the early teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're good at mouthing or mounting a protest, but they can't really offer solutions yeah, to right. anything. And the Tea yeah, Party is like of this. Negation. The Black Lives Matter yeah. movement is yeah. kind yeah. of like this. And you know, when we think about um, societies like individuals have learning curves, and I think we're only now getting to a point where we're learning, okay, now that we have this this breakdown in kind of gatekeeper institutions and authorities and institutions, 
what do we do next? And yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. Like it has, we have to become better readers of information and we have to become more empowered and autonomous. Like we can do it, but we haven't but figured out. But I think we are. I've been yeah, watching, I've been doing social media for, you know, since 2009. This is your job. This right? is my job. And, yeah. I, and I, I see not just what, what I do, but what, what comes yeah. back to me. And, and people have changed. I don't know mm-hmm. if necessarily for the better, some things have definitely changed for the worse. But there is, a, like, you can't, in anything you do, I think you can't assume that people haven't become a little more sophisticated. But I can tell you something. They read and interact. I can tell you coming from a community. Let her say this and then we'll cut it out. It's fine. Exactly. (laughs) Is this something about the Holocaust? Wow, this is the longest we've gone without talking about the Holocaust. Holocaust? Capital H Holocaust. Okay. Um, This is the longest. Can we talk about that? Well, Nick actually asked us not. He he said uh, the topics he doesn't want to talk about. He doesn't want to talk about his private life. I want to talk about things that actually happen. Yeah. Okay, I'm just, I'm reality based. That's all. Listen, we're not going to cancel you. Okay, so what were you going to say? I was going to say, I don't even know. Oh, I was going to say, coming from a community that has zero trust in institutions, um, especially government and all of these kinds of things, um, the Orthodox Jewish community built their own. And so that's why you see even things like the little volunteer police force in the Orthodox communities and their own ambulance services and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. It's about what you do with your mis or distrust, right? Because right. I don't but, see other communities I, doing that. Can yes. I also put the it, that it's the that. Jewish, it's the Jewish women in the Orthodox community who do everything, right? Because the Orthodox guys just sit around and like, Study. oh yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, I, you know, well, hats off to you, hats off. Big hats fur off. hats off to you. <laughs> First of the all, they squeeze out the babies uh, like once a work? year. You know, you're you're living in a cult. I you am. Don't understand. I'm They're in a not cult. working. Like I bet you work a lot more than your husband. But you know what the tr- their trick is? My husband is, brings I think? home the bacon, man. Brings home the yeah, kosher, he brings home the, the bacon. Kosher. You the fry it up bacon. in a pan and then you throw it out, right? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing with bacon? But they have a trick because they have so many babies. Yeah. Eventually, it's, true. it's like a circle. So the, the one is right. old enough to raise the others. Yeah. So and you then, get a lot of, you qualify for a lot of welfare. Right. And you and then they love that the Orthodox communities do, no, right? You're never, you have your you're never slow to take from the government, but then you're of like, course. oh, you know, we can't. It's Friday. Every uh, it's it's Friday. Let's talk about uh, the Holocaust. It's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday at five o'clock I'd somewhere. Talk, I can't work. I'd rather talk about the Holocaust. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How's Eichmann? It is. Yeah. It is your favorite topic. It is it your is. favorite topic. Um, yeah, um, but but yeah, I agree that um, you know people are becoming more sophisticated about all of this stuff. And what worries me is that, particularly with social media now, you you know there's a lot of government, both Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives are like, we got to shut this shit down right at the moment mm-hmm. that we are learning how to deal with it yeah. and, and becoming smarter. And it exactly. starts with those people who push back on like Bill Cosby or on Jen Psaki, you know, you know, giving out these propaganda broadcasts via Twitter and then getting roasted. Like yeah. this is all part of a learning curve and right. we're getting there, but people are like, I don't like this. I, you know, my world is being threatened by everybody being able to interpret or to, you know, when you say like, we got to stop misinformation, like, you know, there's, there's clear misinformation, right? Like if somebody yeah. says, no, the, you know, the election is actually on Monday, not Tuesday. We know what that is. Or it wasn't really 6 million. It was a little less. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I'm sure some died, but it was mostly, (laughs) I mean, you you know, the the real example of this is obviously like the way Turkish, 
the Turkish government talks about the Armenian genocide, where it's like, you know, they just all happened to die, you know, on that long march that why they were walking. They love to hike the Armenians. (laughs) And it's just. (laughs) Have you seen Kim Kardashian? But yeah, yeah, she could, she needs to walk a little bit more, right? Walk (laughs) off some of that. Um, But. There, there's, you know, there's obvious misinformation, but then I think, and this is where I'm postmodern, uh, you know, which uh, postmodernism was defined by uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard as incredulity toward meta narratives. Right. And it's just, it's we, it's the world we live in. You can complain about it, but it's not going away. Part of it is that people really do see things differently, and then the work of kind of politics, I think, or you know, of society is like, how do you allow? people who have radically different visions of life, mm-hmm. you know, including Orthodox Jews yeah. and, you know, Mel Gibson's father's yeah. Catholics. Mel Gibson-ice. Like, no, right, but like his right. father was like this yeah. throwback Catholic. Yeah. And then there's people who are super, you know, cosmopolitan, right. modern, you know, whatever, and like hippies and stuff. How do you create a world where you can get along peacefully, not where one wins or one loses, but right, you kind of exactly. let people work things Just out. Lives, and, but it's hard because, yeah. and, the, and this is the, the thing that does bother me a lot about, about social media. And again, it comes back mm-hmm. to us and not necessarily the, the platforms. Um, but, you know, because it magnifies for each of us that thing that we hate, it makes us overestimate how prevalent it is. So, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the, the shadows on the cave or whatever yeah, you want to yeah, call yeah. that, it, it makes everything look so scary so you know when we look at things that that piss us off which could be you know the exact opposite of something uh that pisses somebody else Mm -hmm. off we imagine it to be uh you know what i'll take that back i don't want to say we imagine it to be a bigger threat i say we have no idea what the scale of the threat is yeah i agree and there was that poll i forget who put it out just recently was it pew or something where People routinely overestimate. Oh, 100%. You know, like, uh, you know, no, uh, you know everybody thinks like there's 40% of black, 40% right. of America is black, or yeah. there's 30% are Jews. Yeah. Um, and I remember at Rutgers, there was a poll done where it was like they asked people, you know, the student body, did, and this was 30 years ago, to kind of say, like, you know, what's the black percentage of students? And it was like, you know, and it was like 5%, but people are like, oh, it's like 30%. Yeah. And Jews, it was like 40%. And it <laughs> yeah. was like, you know, all of them were kind of close to the demographics of the state of New Jersey. And it was so like, you know, like people's basic grip on reality yeah. is like kind yeah. of up for grabs. And again, I like that in the sense of like, you know, you have to prove your reality to other people. Right. Like mm-hmm. Nobody can experience it, but. I'm sure you know more, a- more in common the. The website that has these uh, uh, these different studies that were done, where they ask Republicans what mm-hmm. they think about Democrats, and Democrats what they think about Republicans, and everyone overestimates. So Democrats think that you know all Republicans hate immigrants, and Republicans right. think all Democrats hate the police. And then when you when you compare the actual numbers, everybody tends to overestimate the negativity right. of the other. And again, well, it doesn't mean we need to like each other. It just needs to mean it just means like maybe this is not. Not everything is a threat. Yeah, there's I think a it's great, training. Uh, yeah, a lot I, of it I is do. training. I think it's yeah, it's it's education and it's kind of getting into the habits of mind. Like if you yeah. want to live in a free society, which means you get to do pretty much what you want to do, but then you have to grant that to other people because mm-hmm. who else is going to? Oh yeah. yeah, you know this is this society is working for me. I'll right. like, where I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. But you have to also do what I but want. But so many people Nobody, give that argument with a straight face. Again, yeah. look at this this free. Sp- 
speech op-ed today. Today is Friday in the New York Times um, about how free speech is becoming a problem and they do the throat clearing. It's on the right. It's on the left. And then you look at the New York Times comments, arguably not people who are fucking idiots. And they're all saying that this is not um, there's no such thing as cancel culture. It's accountability. Right. And it's very, very easy to see that when it's your side, because let's say. If we all think vaccines are great, somebody says vaccines are not great, like, oh, yeah, of course they shouldn't speak. That's just holding right. them accountable. But they never, ever do that well. What if I was in that person's shoes? Yeah. Nobody thinks that far. There's a fantastic, and I'm going to name him because he's an Italian-American. Is it Yuval uh, Levine? No, it's not. I don't <laughs> okay. think Yuval Levine is Italian-American. Really, but, uh, but no, it's Morris Fiorina. Uh, mm-hmm. who's at Stanford and the Hoover Institution. And he wrote a book about 20 years ago called Culture War? Question mark, And it was about how, you know, we talk about a hyper-polarized America. And it's true, the parties are more, yeah. you know, different than ever and more extreme. But he runs through all these polls, and this is all held up, where like super majorities of Americans believe, you know, the same thing on immigration, on yeah, abortion, yeah. on drug legalization, on gay marriage on, you know, military intervention, like almost everything. It's like 60% or more are kind of in some kind of agreement, but we talk about it as if we are at each other's throats. And then he explains, and I think this gets to something else we need to kind of grapple with, which is that the political parties, you know, the Republicans and Democrats, we always have a duopoly. You know, at various points there have been, you know, other parties, but it's always two main parties in America. Mm -hmm. And they... The people who run them, who are activists in them, are more extreme than the average or modal Republican or Democrat. Mm -hmm. And then the people they elect to be candidates are even more extreme. And so the articulation of what we all kind of believe is is impossible because you get like AOC and, you know, like fucking Ted Cruz or Tom Cotton or something – Whereas, like, these people are so non-representative, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's who we have to speak through in order to— And they appeal, but I struggle to, with they appeal that. to the, the loudest voices. I struggle with that, strongest. honestly, because I view—I mean, I, I work on this, like I said before about training. Mm-hmm. I really work on this because I view everything through the lens of— you know, is it good for the Israel, Orthodox Jewish the Jews, right? Like foreign policy, yeah. the second, you know, I view yeah. everything about foreign policy through the lens of like what's what's going to be with Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So when someone like Rashida Tlaib gets elected to Congress, mm-hmm. I like it, it sends shivers down my spine, right? Like, and I have to really work hard to say, okay, not everything is about my little issue. I mean, I know it's important mm-hmm. to me, but I can't, but otherwise I would be yelling at Rashida Tlaib on Twitter 24 hours a day. And like everything that comes out of her mouth, mm-hmm. I want to punch her in her face. She could say the most benign thing, like, go Patriots, right? And I'm a huge Patriots fan. And I would be like, I, you, shut the fuck up, right? Like, I, <laughs> it, it, this is the instinct that we have inside of us. Like, we're on teams. And if you're on the opposite team, I, we hate each other. And I think it's, it's just, not just it's something we need to work it works. on. It works. So well, we I don't see think people. So. But, but unfortunately, I, I, unfortunately, I think it does for a lot of people because we see people shut down speech and we see people tear down statues and most of the people they might complain on twitter and then they fall in line not to be too hyperbolic but come to a college campus and i work i work on a college campus and my rather go to auschwitz it's not (laughs) yeah it is not working like it's not where our our you are the hitler of hyperbole (laughs) do you know that literally you know that it's just not working i mean these kids are messed up and it's because we adults 
have created a situation where you have to pick a team. And I think it's well, unhealthy. So my colleague and I, Matt Welch, we wrote a book Never heard about, of him. A, about a decade ago. This was, you know, before I was doing the Reason interview with Nick Gillespie. So it's not, <laughs> you know, it's kind uh, of fuzzy It was to called me. the Reason interview with Matt Welch before? No, no. But it was well, still we wrote, you. We wrote a book called The Declaration of Independence. Yes, Independence. And it was really about- The wonderful name. Uh, it was about how, you know, indep- people like both the Republicans and Democrats have been leaking market share. Like you, you have to vote for one or the other. I mean, those or, mm-hmm. or a Republican or Democrat is going to be elected. But few, you know, the, the mind share that these people have. And this goes back to Fiorina. What he likens the current moment to is that at towards the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, the Republicans and Democrats then, which were very different parties than they are now, but they had been their their identity and their content was kind of created after the Civil War. And then mm. the coalitions that kind of created them kept dying. So by the end of the century, the end of the 19th century, that the the coalitions, the special interest groups that each party was kind of designed to represent or reflect didn't exist anymore. And mm-hmm. that's what's happening now. Yeah. Like we're I like to say that we're in the long, we're still stuck in a long 20th century where, you know, we have COVID. uh, Yeah. And it's, it's, (laughs) uh, although this exists, right. Um, No. uh, And somebody uh, told me the other day uh, that there's Trump derangement syndrome and there's long Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, that's probably true, you know, but we, the Republican and Democratic parties, you know, the people that they are kind of speaking to stopped living sometime in the 90s, probably certainly at the end of the Cold War. And now you get to this weird moment, uh, you know, and this is partly Trump. I think Trump was more of an effect of the breakdown of things rather than the cause. Although he helps, he he certainly, you know, he didn't drop the baton when he passed it up to Joe Biden. (laughs) Um, You know, like they're not disqualified, but it's like, you know, so now you have a thing where like, you know, the the Republicans who were, you know, fucking anti-communist, ridiculously anti-communist are now loving Putin yeah. or Russia. Bizarre. And yeah, it's and, you know, it's 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 like a crazy world. And until we snap out of this, until we start to say like, OK, we need to recalibrate and we yeah. need to have, you know, we need to have political coalitions that actually reflect where we are now. I, I think about this a lot and I'm yeah. a small libertarian. Um, I don't even the Libertarian Party. I, I don't belong to. I you know I hope I wish it well and all of that. But like, if you are pro-choice and you want lower income taxes and you're pro-immigration, like right. where do you go? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Which like that doesn't exist. No, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of and normies. That's, that that describes probably like you know two-thirds of more of Americans are all yeah. kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah I want abortion to be, you know, kind of the way it is yeah. now. I'm pro-immigrant and I yeah. don't like paying high taxes. Yeah, no right. one will vote for a third-party candidate. Nick, yeah. I'm wondering what you think about this. I, I've been a, kind of playing with this idea in my head, but I think we need some kind of national service in our country. And I know that's very anti-libertarian. I know. Yeah, and, and <laughs> would, the, wanted... would the Orthodox community have to serve or would yeah, they be well, like... <laughs> This is not, yeah, Israel. You know they this is not would, Israel. I mean, like Orthodox. I don't Jews mean a military. Have the flattest feet, right? <laughs> I don't mean a military national service, but I yeah. think that part of our issue that we're talking about here is that Americans 
don't see the world. They don't even see their own country. I know people who've lived in mm-hmm. Long Beach who haven't left Southern California. And I think there's something yeah. really powerful about taking an 18-year-old from Alabama and an 18-year-old from New York City and from, you know, Wisconsin and putting them together to like, you I don't know, work on a bridge. just described MTV's the real world. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. But, but to do something. Put them in I mean, Congress and make them live put, together. Fine. I wanted I to do Love that. is Blind I, 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 What do you think I, about something like that? I think it is one of the most fundamentally dumb ideas in the world. Oh, National wow. service. Okay. <laughs> we're having we're said deleting that, this episode. <laughs> I love, no, I like what you're talking about and especially about coming together and, and also experiencing something different than what you grew up with or where you're yeah. from. But, you know, and I, to go back to my grandparents, uh, you know, they all left Europe uh, again, in the 19 teens, partly they were economic refugees more right. than anything, but also political refugees. And they were, they grew up in countries where they were going to be the the integers. They were going to be the the raw material for somebody else's vision yeah. of a greater Britain or a greater Italy mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, because my Irish grandparents left before independence. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so like I, I push back against that idea because I also believe that it wouldn't be executed in a way where it's like, you know, the, the Senator's son, you know, to quote, uh, <laughs> a Creedence Clearwater song and yeah. John, uh, what's the, uh, John Fogarty is the most tedious old hippie in the world. Yes. But, you know, you know, like in Vietnam, you know, the, the, the whole idea about like, I, I ain't no Senator's son. Um, I think it would be used to kind of reify existing class differences and, mm. and priorities. So I like the the idea, but I think that's something that we need to do through, no, I wouldn't even say nonprofits, I think through, yeah, through. you know, groups coming together and, yeah. and kind of building a common, a common identity and a common belief that this is what defines America. This is what is good about it. And it is yeah. that idea of true pluralism and tolerance and interest in yeah. But you know, it's seeing I mean, the, the world also. Yeah, there yeah. may and, be a and, war and just will like help. I, you know, in Jersey City, there were this was decades ago, but there were a ton. They came up. There were Chinese Cuban fusion restaurants, and it's like right. that's the world I want to yeah. live in. Yeah, where, like, yeah people, they're still on the Upper West Side. So. Yeah, and I'm sure. And then they add in, you know, I don't know, you know, something sushi of, and yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. empanadas. Um, what was your experience though? Because you had to serve, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, in Israel. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's a lot to speak for me. I can't speak for the whole country, but it, it is the the melting pot, right? So mm-hmm. it's the first time you leave the house, you meet people from other parts of the country. They go 20 I, minutes away from home. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is like, oh, my God. You know, we went all the way from the I west know. side to the east I know. side. I got it's my... like the bagels are still round. <laughs> and can, can I tell bring you, them breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> can I yeah. tell you how, how fortunate I was during my service? There was about one year that Starbucks operated in Israel, and it was yeah. during the year of my service. And it oh, was wow. right off right. my base. Um, so, but, but yeah, I think there's nothing. And I was just talking about with our friend Nancy who came back from Ukraine. And I don't wish this on America or any country, mm-hmm. but there is nothing quite uniting and inspiring than being yeah, war. under the threat of existence. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, but I want to believe that, and this is part of the challenge for America, and mm-hmm. I think of the American experiment or whatever the fuck we want to yeah. call it. Like, we need to generate that you know, that, that meaning simulation. that is not based on existential threat, yeah, exactly. you know, because that ultimately, like, how much better is it? And, you know, we failed in much of our history, but I think in its best moments, the, you know, the promise of America is that you could come here 
or you could come from here and move mm-hmm. yeah. to, you know, move from the South to Detroit or LA or New York mm-hmm. or wherever and make your life. And that that's, and it's fundamentally that's positive and open-ended as opposed to like, we have to band together because but, we're going to be wiped out. But I, but I just that, don't I know if we can do there. it. I don't think I we think, can yeah. do it. I think well, human I think beings we, yeah. need to be in a constant state of existential crisis. Otherwise, we become yeah. fat and lazy and we're just uh, uninteresting. I will say, you know, I and this is a trope that comes out of World War II. Um, you know, uh, uh, when and when you think of novels like um, From Here to Eternity, the James yeah. Shands books, or Norman Mailer's The Naked and the Dead, and even things like Nick Sergeant, is looking at me as if I've read any Sergeant of these books. Rock and uh, Sar- Nick Fury comic books, yeah. but like the platoon was always figured as like there's the Southern you know, kid, you know, from, from Alabama yeah, and yeah, the yeah. Jew yeah. and the, uh, the, the Italian Tropic and the Thunder. black. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like that. Yeah. Right? And it's kind of false in a lot of ways, but there was something to that. And I'll, I'll tell you just, you know, what's to, like that, by the way, sorry, the police department. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I, the people I worked with were literally from all over the world. And well, immigrants from Bangladesh and China. And, oh yeah. Taking American jobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Traffic agents. Yeah, wow. And they get to, you know, like come to America and then, uh, you know, and they stop pull and over frisk minorities, <laughs> stop <laughs> and frisk other minorities. Exactly. Right? Um, but, um, you know, the, uh, what was leveling about world war two, because that was, you know, most men between the ages of like 18 and 41 or 40 were in some form of service and it leveled, you know, it leveled class, it leveled all sorts of distinctions. And they were pulling in, you know, people who, you know, the, the people who served in world war two, which is kind of amazing. Most of them were emaciated. They didn't have proper nutrition. They were missing teeth. They mm-hmm. were, you know, and it and it forged, and I know for my both my Italian relatives as well as my father and the Irish ones that that was kind of the chit that they were you know that was the ante to be taken as fully American because these were all Catholic they yeah. were poor Catholic yeah. kids from suspect ethnicities, um, and you know in a way that's a terrible price to pay and we mm-hmm. shouldn't force anybody to but that did have that effect it didn't for blacks and that's right. one of the reasons why it's. Fascinating. And this is important, mm-hmm. I think, when we talk about, you know, wokeism or whatever, you know, blacks came back uh, from World War II and then they were not granted full citizenship. Mm-hmm. And, and well, they, they were weren't con- immigrants either. Well, right? But yeah, well, I mean, neither was my father mm-hmm. right, or my uncle. They were born here. But it was like, you know, and they're like, fuck you. Like you, you want me to go over and fight, I know. And, yeah. you know, and we're not even in, in segregated army, you know, battalions and stuff. And then you're not even granting me the right of citizenship. Fuck you. And that jump-started the civil rights movement. One of the most touching things I've ever seen, uh, my father was in the the Normandy campaign. And um, a couple of years ago, I took my sons to Normandy and we went to the American graveyard there. And I was with, uh, at the time, my uh, French girlfriend and her family. And in the American cemetery, one thing that is amazing, I choke up thinking about this, like every five gravestones, Mm It's like there is, you know, a Polish name, an Irish mm. name, a British name, yeah. a black, na- an African American name, a Jewish name, and mm-hmm. like they'll have, you know, crosses or, star, or yeah. stars of David or even some, you know, crescents. Mm-hmm. And the French people are like that is so odd because like you just don't have that in right. France or in most yeah, countries, yeah. and it is like it's kind of beautiful, it's and we true. need. I think this is the debt that we owe to those yeah, people who I are agree. like dead there mm-hmm. is that we don't need to, 
you know, have an existential threat in order to become the kind of sandbox, you know, the Minecraft world where people can come and they can build beautiful things and experiment and get along and have like fucking awesome, wonderful lives. You know what's yeah, interesting? I, I found a commonality because my grandparents were also emaciated during World War mm-hmm. II. They were starving in, in Auschwitz. Wow. Which, was that a real Which, place or was yeah. that debatable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look, I, you know, I don't see it. I mean, you don't but, see I mean, it. I've, I've heard, heard about it, about but it. I don't know. But, but Have you ever watched, uh, uh, you know, and I think you asked me to come on because like of cultural stuff. And this is kind of far afield from Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. <laughs> yeah, sure. a little disappointing um, to our fans. But, but <laughs> I believe it's on Netflix and it's probably also for free on YouTube. But the Alain uh, Rene documentary called Night and Fog. Uh, which was originally done for French TV, I think in the early 50s. And he became, he was a film critic and then became a uh, big part of the French New Wave. And it is this spectacular, um, you know, 10 years, maybe 10 years, maybe less after World War II. It's footage of what Auschwitz, and it might also be like Buchenwald or, Mm. you know, but it's a death camp. And like it, it hadn't been turned into, you know, a kind of, Museum. memorial or, right. or tourist mm-hmm. attraction or anything. So the grass is just growing up and the buildings are empty. And then there's this narration by a French poet. And it's all about how in order to move into the future, we need to forget things. Wow. But we also need to remember because if we don't, we will make the same mistakes. And it is, wow. you know, and coming from a French perspective, it's a fascinating kind of yeah. meditation. He his probably his most famous movie is uh, called Hiroshima Mon Amour, mm-hmm. which is also about the French. It takes place in Japan, but it's about the French experience in World War II. And I hate when people are cheap about like, oh, the French, you know, just gave up and everything. I mean, they had been brutalized in World War One, and they were you know, the Germans, when they took over, France immediately deported almost all military-age men to camps outside the right. country. I mean, it was a... But I highly recommend Night and Fog. Mm-hmm. It's like a text which is chilling and awesome. And then, like, it, so it cuts to scenes of death camps where, you know, they're empty and, like, the earth is kind of taking them back wow. with Nazi footage of, you know, because the Nazis were, like insane so they documented everything and it's like these pictures of mass graves and it's so powerful and beautiful and it's a universal lesson about like you know the problem with the american south in a lot of ways if you read a lot of faulkner and whatnot is that you know the past isn't dead it's not even past Mm -hmm. Um, and like the south culturally can't get on from the lost cause and stuff you know but it's also true like if you don't have a past you you can't generate a future and it's like it's a real troubling. We, we literally celebrated a holiday yesterday that is remembering a, a, a travesty that didn't all, that almost happened thousands of years ago. Right. Like mm-hmm. we have a long You're talking memory, about Purim. but it yeah. depends right. how you remember. Have right, a long, long memory, and I think it's something I've struggled with a lot. Is in my own life, how do you live a meaningful, good life after? If you're Auschwitz, spending every you know? day, but well, also, but <laughs> I mean, also I if you're like that, spending but, you every know. day remembering the distant past. Well, yeah, but it depends I, I mean, how you remember. Yeah. Like you just said, Chayalea, we yeah. celebrated a holiday, right? Where they tried to yeah. kill all the Jews. So yeah. it depends how you remember. And I think, I think it's the really way. Judaism's sexiest holiday, isn't it? It really it is. the is. only fun it's, one. It and, really and is. it's a booze, a booze, uh, you know, a booze, a holiday. Yeah, although Passover is pretty booze. I'll just say that. 
I'm not myself boozy right now. Um, but the way we, the way I learned about the Holocaust, and obviously a big part mm-hmm. of growing up, and went to to Poland in high school and mm-hmm. everything, and talked to survivors, I feel like was, you know. I don't want to say from a place of, of victory, but always yeah. very much tied into and look at us now. And, right. you know, the, every year but when the I F-16s so fly, the Israeli F-16s mm-hmm. fly yeah. over Auschwitz, it's like the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if if it was remembered in a way that, but, you know, the next Holocaust just around the corner, so be careful. You know, maybe that would have have breed a Hogan's different generation. Heroes is also a version of that. Do Which you know one? Hogan's Heroes? The yeah. sitcom from the 60s. Yes. Uh, this, uh, by the way, for me, yes. is the Maginot line of post-war culture. Like people under, yeah. kind of like under the age of 40 or 45 have that have but never heard of Hogan's Heroes. They would never play that anymore it is, today. It's a sitcom that yeah. was made by a bunch of World War II veterans, especially a lot of Jewish ones. And it's yeah. set in a POW camp, a German POW camp where the the American and British and French inhabitants are running the camp with the dumb Nazi yeah. commandant or, <laughs> or so Vermont funny. commandant. That sounds amazing. Is a, is a clown. And it's and all of the main characters, or almost all of them, including all of the main Nazis, were either in camps or were had family members who died. And and it's like the that ultimate fuck you yeah. to this, I want to watch that uh, yeah. and also watch a documentary about that. Yeah, well, this and this goes <laughs> to the point of like knowing too much about your heroes. Bob Crane, yeah. who plays Colonel Hogan, who's mm-hmm. like this great and he's based on a William Holden character from Stalag 17, uh, ended up being killed. Uh, he was into weird kind of uh, exhibitionist sex. And this really his partner in that beat him to death in what? the 1980s. What? <laughs> Sorry to ruin Hogan's. You know, Hogan's wow. Heroes has a bad, it has a dark side. <laughs> wait, wait. Can right? I tell the best uh, pop culture fun fact that I just learned, completely what? unrelated, that I uh, recently learned that in Science of the Lambs, mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo Bill was the name of the murderer, and the girl, the, the fat girl that right. he had uh, in the well, they were dating when they filmed that movie. Oh, Isn't the that actors. sweet? Yeah. 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 I like, uh, <laughs> wow. you know, going back to Temple, uh, the whole thing in the well. Yeah. That's based on a uh, serial killer in North Philadelphia, which is where uh, a temple is, uh, named Gary Heidnick. Really? Who preyed on uh, mentally uh, challenged women who were in a halfway house. Were, so they, were they a size 14? I think a lot of them were, yeah. They, I, I went to see you guys are the discussing the musical once. Yes. That's a musical? Um, okay. there, it was, yeah. What? While you guys were discussing this, I <laughs> came to an epiphany, okay? Or I had okay. an epiphany. Okay. Why do I struggle so much with memory and the Holocaust and all that? Yeah. And I think it's a lot of it is because I have guilt that my life is too easy. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like, learn how to not wallow in that guilt. You know, I mm. think a lot I of agree. I think a lot of Americans and Jews and everyone, all, all immigrants. Yep. I mean, you probably have a lot easier mm-hmm. than your parents did. And we don't Certainly know what do. to, we don't know how to channel that properly. Right. I, like. I, I, I'll I'll go with that and I'll say, I think, you know, so my father, who was, uh, you know, a veteran of World War II, he had a purple heart. He got shot. um, And it's funny, uh, my, you know, and this is part of growing up in New Jersey and, you know, you get the kids that you deserve, but he would (laughs) like, he had on his body, he had like five kind of bullet marks, you know, which is like, you know, what the fuck? Like, and, right. and he was like five, eight and, you know, he didn't have teeth and he was, wow. he had had scarlet fever and all these like fucking ancient childhood diseases. And somehow he beat the Nazis, right? right? Which is like amazing. Right. And, and um, but he would, 
like sometimes like we would, you know, be ragging on him and he'd be like, oh, you know, give me a break. You know, like I got shot by the Nazis and we would be like, yeah, in the back. <laughs> uh, so but, but, did, had, but did you die? He had, uh, he had some form of survivor's guilt, I yeah. think, you know, because yeah. like everybody he started World War II with like yeah. died. Yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah. there was one guy left uh, of like his group that he started with. And I think we're culturally, I mean, like as a society, one thing that we tend to forget, uh, and this is why history is really useful, uh, America was generally a poor country until World War II. And then we emerged from World War II wealthy, like where most people had something approaching a middle-class existence where you didn't worry about food and clothing and shelter, and you had many, many more options. And I don't think my parents, who grew up very poor in immigrant households, and then, you know, and and plus, you know, the Depression, and plus this, and then World War II, and I don't think they were able to figure out, like, why, you know, did they deserve this? Um, I think in a lot of ways, as a culture now, we are so much wealthier, and we're so much better, like, you know, and, you know, there's problems for sure, but, like, we're not racist and sexist and homophobic and xenophobic the way we used to. Of course. But we've forgotten... You know, like the we forgot like all the advantages that we've been given, and we struggle for meaning. And instead of trying to create a positive vision, Mm -hmm. we're you know we're chewing each other's feet off. Yeah, Um, we have a too good. But I also I never want to. I never want my kids to. I've I've two sons, twenty eight and twenty, and I never want them to. You know, I would never want them to even go through what I went through as like a lower middle class kid. Mm who had very limited options and everything that I got, I was like lucky and I worked hard for, right. um, you know, like I, I worked mostly to give them advantages that I couldn't it's think It's like of. the I, I, K bit, right? About the Wi-Fi about on the plane. jerking off in front. Yeah. Am I yeah. supposed to jerk <laughs> off in front of you now? I'm not going to ask. Okay. Or is that wrong? Was that, that wrong? Was that, you ha- no, you have yeah. to ask permission, but, no, he but does I do put it on my kids. It's better to ask forgiveness than to. It's true. But Nick, I will say that I do, I definitely do put it on my kids and maybe that's wrong, but I feel feel like we have, you know, my grandfather lost every relative that he had, including his children and wife. Even the bad ones, but the bad ones too, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's mixed. Yeah. But he was like a lone survivor who built himself a new life in Canada. He had one child, my father. My -hmm. father basically lived a life to try to, help his parents get through their trauma of surviving the Holocaust, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, both of his parents. So he didn't have time to think about it too much in that way. But then here comes third generation. um, And I spend my whole life thinking about it. Like, what am I doing? How am I, how am I proving that their life was worth saving? What is, you know, what is the meaning in my life? And I definitely pass that on to my kids. You have to lead a meaningful life. You can't just jerk around. What are you doing to help the world? Like, and I don't know, maybe it's too much. I really, I love Victor Frankl. I don't know if you've read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Victor sure. Man's, man's Search for Man's Meaning. Search yeah, for absolutely. Meaning. And, and just the importance of having a meaningful life and understanding yeah. what that means. And I, I think that's a conversation no, our I, young I, people should be having. Well, I also, you know, speaking of uh, Frankl, um, it's, uh, you know, we have, um, and this is, a, again, a, a triumph of contemporary America and really the contemporary world increasingly, we have massified existential angst because yeah. we now, you know, and to throw in another Jew into the mix, Abraham Maslow, like yeah. our, 
everybody in America virtually, like your hierarchy yeah. of needs, like Is, all the basic parts are filled. So right. existential, you know, torpor is is a mass phenomenon now and yeah. that's like that's a very rare thing we're in so lucky history. i still I think but a, we need to know that so right. We can. right a good war we need uh, a good but, you war. know but instead what happens to, I, I i get what you're coming from of but course what happens, like jokingly but. Yeah, but what happens then is that we go searching for wars and instead we end up in really shitty wars like afghanistan and iraq and right, possibly right. ukraine where we're not helping anybody but we're like trying to kind of displace instead, like what we have to do is say like, okay, you know what? Like uh, what, what is the romance? What is the the history? What's the heroism of building, you know, great businesses or great mm-hmm. communities and good schools. And, you know, this is a challenge that we're not even talking about much less rising to meet of like, how do you build a positive, great society without being like, okay, now like, fuck that. It's a lot easier to pretend that we're yeah. under some kind of threat. So we're going to yeah. go bomb the shit out of other countries for a while. Yeah. And that doesn't have the same effect if those countries are not at your, you know, at your front door. But I do think, and we, and we can end on this because Nick, we've had you on you for end. too long and mm-hmm. you probably need for to get back to the, oh, the, to, yeah, like, to the uh, reason interview with Nick Gillespie. <laughs> the fish, uh, you know, rots <laughs> from its head. Oh, right? we can do this for hours. Yeah, I, we yeah. just don't want to hold you up. I'm but, having 50 people for dinner tonight and I, ha- I have oh, wow. to cook. You have leftovers from poor. I have zero left. There's not a single wow. piece of food from last night. Left. You got really? totally drunk and just ate every, ate and drank we everything. Just, yeah. I had 200 they, people they in my house last night. Is it Purim is the one where it's you're supposed to get so fucked up that mm-hmm. the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah, you which can't I tell think the difference. Uh, you were just talking about Louis C.K. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> Maybe every day, every day is Purim. Every day is Purim. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, it's interesting because he copped to being Jewish kind of later in his career. Oh, is yeah. he? He's he he was not he, raised religiously, right. but, and he's got a bunch of other Isn't things. He in like there. Hungarian. It's like Christopher Hitchens, also. Like yeah, it yeah, was yeah, like later that he said yeah. his mom was Jewish. Everybody yeah, wanted to no. be Jewish once it was cool. No, you know. Well, this uh, you know t- the real ethnicity that is, uh, I think, the white ethnicity is uh, Irish. Everybody wants yeah. to be Irish. That's a little true because they're the lovable losers of, <laughs> of the European experience. Well, I, I grew up on Conan O'Brien and I loved all his Irish jokes. Yeah, but I yeah. never been an Irish person yeah. in my life. No. I have a lot of resentment to Ireland over their treatment of Israel. So I'll just leave it at that. But they have cute accents. They do. But they're shit. What the, could the men Ireland are, the men possibly do to, to Israel? They vote Israel. against them in the UN and they're just whatever. They're, they're, very a little, uh, they're a little. They're yeah. um, little. I don't know. I they think, align. Uh, they they feel they feel for the Palestinians. Which, they're they're which little, I do. Uh, as well. It's one. It's one world struggle. Mollet, yeah, they also Molotov the Libyans and the yeah, South Africans, yeah. the Black South Africans. No, I. Uh, yeah. The uh, you guys missed uh, an incredible shit show that's embarrassing uh, to be Irish American. Being in Irish bars on the East Coast during the seventies and eighties, it was right. like. You know, one world struggle, always <laughs> gathering money for the IRA. And it's, yeah, uh, even when yeah, people in like, Ireland were like, fuck the IRA. Oh, no, and nobody, in, and nobody in the Republic or Southern <laughs> Ireland was like, oh, yeah, up the IRA. They were like, kill these motherfuckers. And um, the, uh, uh, the movie, uh, the recent movie, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Belfast yeah. is actually yeah. pretty good on this. I heard you talking about that on the Reason interview with Nick Gillespie. Yeah, I think. Or that might have been the Reason Roundtable featuring Nick Gillespie. <laughs> Um, I've, that's kind of like, you know, Mark Lindsay, uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders featuring Mark Lindsay. Uh, it gets complicated very quickly. I don't know. I've given my debt to the Irish. I read uh, Say Nothing 
uh, a few oh, months yeah. ago. So I've done my part. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the Irish, uh, there is a fantastic, uh, God, I'm going to, I believe it's Frank O'Connor, uh, wrote a fantastic short story called guests of the nation, which mm-hmm. is set during the Irish civil, not civil war, the Irish revolt against British rule. And it's told from the point of view of like an Irish, you know, an IRA guy. And, uh, a couple of IRA people have been taken prisoner and they have a couple of British soldiers and they're, they're kids. They're mm-hmm. all kids. And they're getting, they're holding these guys hostage and they're waiting to see if the IRA guys are going to be released. And then they know like if the IRA guys get killed by the Brits, the Ulsters provisionals, they're going to have to kill these guys. And it's the greatest short story oh. of all time. Mm-hmm. Guests What's of the, the movie? Nation. What's it called? Guests of, Guests of, the, Guests nation. of the nation. And, uh, and it also yeah. drives home this, you know, this this was a much bigger theme in World War One and World War Two of how the soldiers in any war have much more in common with each right. other than they do with the brass. Right. And this That's is so true. Yeah. this is uh, you know I I think a lot about this especially because we're kind of in a war fever now, but also in American popular culture, if you look at the stuff, the culture, the movies, the novels, even the the songs that were mm-hmm. that came out of World War Two, mm-hmm. there is a darkness where. Um, you know, everybody hated the Nazis and like, you know, we got to we got to beat the Nazis and the Japanese who are like horrible mm-hmm. invasionary forces, imperial and, you know, death machines. Um, but also that the army itself was a corrupt kind of system that didn't care about the common soldier. Mm, right. And when you look at a movie like From Here to Eternity, the novel was published, I think, in 48. Mm-hmm. The movie came out in like 52. It is it's about creating myths of heroism in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, um, in a non-heroic enterprise because it's set at Pearl Harbor Mm. and like, and, and there's a a scene at the end of the novel in the movie where a woman who is essentially like a a semi-prostitute starts mythologizing her husband or boyfriend who was a piece of shit. It was like Hmm. a deserter. And it's so fantastic. And that kind of uh, Americans back then were able to be kind of patriotic and idealistic and also deeply cynical in a Mm -hmm. way that that got wiped out with all the greatest generation shit. And this was my, my father died before uh, in the nineties, like before a lot of this really hit the, you know, it's stride, but he was like so annoyed when people started being like, oh, World War II, like we all pulled together and everybody, that was great. And like, you know, the, the, the generals took care of the soldiers and stuff. And he's like, oh, this is all it's bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. And, it's, and it's weird because we think of people in the past as being kind of dumber and more yeah. trusting and more believable. Yeah, more, believing. more flattened, as you said. And yeah, they weren't. They were smarter. And I think, you know, we might go back and look at some of that stuff where you can you can be critical of institutions and critical of yourself and your motivations and your outcomes without being nihilistic, which yeah. I think is kind of where you've literally just described how I am with my that's Judaism. Such an important, <laughs> yeah. that, that's such an important point. I, I think it. about it. And again, mm-hmm. I, you know, I bring it back to law enforcement. I, I went to the yeah. NYPD with this Hollywood version of the NYPD and, and I kind of, I think came full circle. Uh, and it's always been that, that struggle between, uh, you know, the cynicism mm-hmm. and seeing how many things are, are broken, both in the organization, but also in in society and how unsexy it is to be a cop and how much actual like human right. feces you have to deal with and just the worst <laughs> and the worst of society. But recognizing that without abandoning 
the things that the symbolism. Right. Which I think I we think should end. Our what, have you have you seen movies like Serpico? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, he's you know. on Twitter and he's like batshit crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. He deserves, he kind of gets a pass that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I, I think this is, uh, you know, the Catholic Church, which I'm not a part of anymore or anything like that. But this, it's, it's another major institution mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. one of its primary problems is that it has made major category errors and fundamental mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, such as, you know, the, the, the idea that Jews killed Jews, Christ right. and all of that, you know, which was part of church doctrine for centuries. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. how do you correct yourself? And, you know, not to mention, you know, the whole molestation the scandal yeah. and the way they're yeah. still handling that. Like, how do you admit you were wrong? And, Without throwing the and baby move, out. Yeah, and move water. forward in good faith. And this Ooh. is, I also, Sartre, Ooh. you know, Jean-Paul Sartre is a terrible human being in a lot of ways, but he had, you know, he made distinctions about living in good faith and bad faith. And we need to, I think, teach an ethics of good faith yeah. and of mm-hmm. like where you can admit mistakes and errors and that doesn't completely invalidate everything that I you've agree. done. And, you know, as a society, as an individual, as a group, and we're not, I'm, you know, we're not good at that. I'm a big fan of holding both truths, yes. of, of being able to enjoy Same the great side of the institution, like again, America, the, the, the symbolism, yeah. the beauty of it, the wonderful opportunities it provides without saying, you know, uh, not to use a cliche, but there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And I, I think the both work. those ideas yeah. can, can live together. Oh, we need to end this podcast with, um, I, on a positive system. note. May I, may I just yeah, say that ahead. towards but that But this end. isn't the reason interview with Nick Gillespie. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, for, no, it will not be confused with that. No, please. <laughs> Uh, although I do want Holocaust it to be called like here. two two dumb Jews and Nick Gillespie. <laughs> two Maybe Jews and an Italian walk into a bar. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, no, goy, you give us- goy and dolls, maybe? <laughs> goy and dolls. Something like that. Uh, give uh, us the parting words. Well, I was going to say, um, I'm going to, Reason is going to be having a great live event in Ooh. New York City at Caveat Theater, uh, which is on the Lower East Side, Ooh. on Monday, April 4th with Carl Hart, who's a neuroscientist oh, yeah. at Columbia. And he wrote a book. Does he know uh, Sam Harris? He's he's an actual working neuroscientist. Okay. He's not a monologist. He's you know, he, he, yeah, he's not a monologist. Friend of Majid, with friend did of he Majid finish Nawaz. his PhD? I don't even know. If I he don't did know. It doesn't matter. But um, Carl is African American, and he's a he's a veteran. He served in the uh, Air Force, and um, he wrote this book called Drug Use for Grownups. And one of the things that is great, and this is I'm going to be talking with him. It's going to be a great scene. So go to you know look at Eventbrite for the Reason mm-hmm. Speakeasy with. Carl Hart. Um, but um, he talks about how, you know, the the Declaration of Independence and kind of the the, the concept, that, that generative idea of, you know, a matrix of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, never really fully realized. But that is like, that's the core. And we need yeah. to keep coming back to that and judging ourselves. Like, are we getting closer? Are we getting better to that? And this is one of those places where you can, you know, the, the war on drugs, which I'm a big opponent of as is Carl Hart. And, you know, it's like, it is racist. It is sexist. It's classist. It's all sorts of things. And like, you know, we need to, we need to get rid of that or, you know, reform it and move forward and do it in a way that is in good faith. And that America as a country has never lived up to its potential. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we're in a conversation where it's like, you know, I mean, a lot of Republicans, this is part of the New York times editorial, conservative Republicans in states all over the country are trying to 
uh, at the at the state level saying like you can't teach history yeah if scared. you're dishing on on the U.S. and it's like fuck yeah. you and yeah. then you have other people who are like the only way to teach history in America is to talk about how we are the worst country and we're getting worse <sighs> with every passing yeah. day and it's yeah. like these are not you know we we live in a world where there's like 36 different types of pop tarts we can have more than two mutually exclusive. Right unrealistic stories of American history. <laughs> and it's all history. because people are, are, I think people are scared because what Republicans should be saying is we should emphasize the, the you know, wonderful things about the country. And what the left should be saying is we should emphasize, you know, the wonderful things about multiculturalism and diversity. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're both choosing to try to shove away the other right. agenda, which is something people do when they're scared, when Carl, they think yeah, their ideas are, are, what are being What are we scared hidden. of, though? Like, we're, we're wealthier. I'm scared we're, of flying. We're better. No, I but I mean, like as spiders. a society, like, we've got, <laughs> even with COVID, it's like, so we have this, like, killer disease, and we fucking and come fine. up with, like, we come up with vaccines yeah. in, like, eight or nine months. It could have come out amazing. quicker. You know, it's We like, should have a parade every day about how amazing it is that we have vaccines. Carl Hart says we should be, um, you know, that you can take heroin recreationally and yeah. people should. And, you know, Kyla, now you uh, have you know, an excuse a, to fly to New York. <laughs> yeah, no, my uh, my colleague, my Jewish colleague, my kosher keeping Jewish colleague, really? Jacob Solom, wrote a book called Saying Yes in Defense of Drug Use, which is this like about 15 years ago, filled with examples of people using all sorts of drugs responsibly, including heroin. Um, You know, and again, that's not something you do lightly or anything like that. But this is part of, you know, we got to get past these cliches of like demonizing substances, whether it's sugar or heroin or alcohol and like working with, you know, like behaviors and and coming up with ways where people are more free to make their choices and they're more informed about how to deal with that. Okay, we're so going to end with... Now you have to come to New York yeah, to take April heroin 4th. with Nick Gillespie. But <laughs> at the very least to come Anytime. to that event. Um, yeah. We're going to go out on uh, System of a Down's um, BYOB, which is a great song about soldiers and government officials sending the poor to fight wars. So... Well, I didn't We're going to play this that. Was a, a lefty podcast. Uh, you know, it's also <laughs> it's I, uh, you know what's a great novel of World War II. It came out in the early '60s and became a countercultural bible. But is Catch Twenty Two? Yeah, oh. it is. Uh, which is wonderful. And uh, yeah, if I may, just to extend this torture a little bit more Please. for the listeners, <laughs> I had a friend, uh, a college friend, uh, who taught high school in New Jersey for like thirty years, and uh, he loved Catcher 22 and he taught English. So he would teach it to his students in like AP or something like that. And for decades, they were like, oh, this is fucking great. Like we get it because it's about a system. Mm-hmm. You know, Yosarian, the main character, is in the Army Air Force, I think, because the mm-hmm. Air Force didn't exist in World War II uh, as a standalone unit. And, you know, he keeps getting fucked over by the mm-hmm. system and everybody's like, major, yes, major. this, yeah, exactly. Uh, and Milo Minderbender and, yeah. Uh, and, Everybody got it. And he said by the end of his tenure, I retired after like 30 years, the students were like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't he just go and complain and they would get it taken care of? (laughs) And that actually, you know, that explains a lot of the difference in generations and stuff. But it's also like it, it masks a kind of triumph where like we have taken the system and we've kind of improved it. So, like, it is true. And, like, again, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times because I get $5 – 
uh, to use at the uh, at the dining hall at Rutgers, if I mention it. <laughs> when I went to, I was at Rutgers from 81 to 85, and I was like a fucking great student there and all of this kind of stuff. They didn't give a shit. Like, you know, it had like 40,000 students and they didn't care. And every mm -hmm. semester, once or twice, you would be deregistered. And like suddenly you were a non-person and you'd have to spend <laughs> you a weren't week, a customer. you know, showing that like you had paid yeah. your stupid, you know, uh, tuition mm -hmm. and, and room and board. And like, no, you were registered for these classes, you know, et cetera. And now it's like an incredibly customer service friendly mm -hmm. place. Like yeah. they will bend over backwards for you. And that's a triumph. And like we've made the systems better, yeah. And people are still like more and more pissed and off. We like we gotta, yeah. we gotta have, be having better conversations about progress and what that means, where that comes from, and how to how to kind of push it through to the you know to yeah. the last mile. Wait, there's one more thing I want to ask you. Yeah. Then on that note, if you right. don't mind, um, so we're talking about like the you know the kids today and then yeah. the wokeism and the expectations and. Maybe it's because of, of my age, but the last year or two is How when I am turning 40 in June. Okay. So in the last year or two, it's just become very noticeable to me how much I have kind of, you know, changed generations. Mm -hmm. And what I think I am, which is 23, is now a completely different generation. So all the differences in how, how people, you know, respond to things or like the example you just mm -hmm. gave are very, very clear to me. And I always ask myself and I asked John Haidt this question, too. How much of this is really things that we should be fighting for and we should be our, our generation should be kind of fighting to preserve these ideals? Mm -hmm. And how much of it is, oh, these kids today and they're crazy rock yeah. music? Uh, yeah, Does that yeah, make that, sense, that yeah, question? Yeah, no, and there's a question in kind of Elizabethan and early enlightenment. Think, no, about like what are things essential mm -hmm. and things inessential? Like what really matters and what doesn't? And this is where I think there's a lot of the kind of get off my lawn stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you haven't heard of Hogan's Heroes. Are you an idiot <laughs> or something? You know, like, yeah. you should never. And, and it's hard to tell. Like, uh, you know, are you, are things disappearing, you know, and you're upset by that because it's kind of ephemeral, but you grew up with it and it matters? Yeah. Or is there a principle there? Or is there something? Is me that's not important? putting my pronouns in my email? the same as my father using like a derogatory term or something, something like retard, even yeah. though we, we say retard all the time. I, yeah. And I, I don't think so. And I think this is also something recognizing, you know, uh, the U S in particular, I guess other countries do, but I, I don't really know other countries, cultures in mm -hmm. any kind of lived way. Um, you know, we've fetishized at least since the end of World War II youth. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we kind of like... Which is left funny because they're so dumb. Well, they're, you know, and it's like they're like not dumb. They're smarter. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody has better SATs than I had, right? So they're, like, smart, whatever the fuck <laughs> that means. I cringe when I think ignorant. how dumb I was. No, and I, I you know, I, I uh, my ex-wife is a college professor, and, like, I spent most of my time on college campuses, and I would always laugh when you get professors together, and they would be like... I can't believe how stupid the, you know, the freshmen are. Like they haven't even read blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, you're like 40 years older than them. <laughs> and you've spent your entire life reading, you know, Shakespeare yeah, yeah. or something, you know. So, you know, some, but 
we fetishize young people because they're the they have promise and they're smarter than us. Yeah. And like we've created, they're not you know, as like, cynical as we I are. mean, I'm like a foot taller than my parents were because <laughs> they were able to, you know, in society gave me more yeah. food when mm-hmm. I was right. a kid. Like it's right. genetically, I'm the same thing, but like, yeah. you know, they gave me fertilizer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so like, you're like, okay, well, the kids are smarter. They're better off. They're better. You know, they're, they have a higher SAT scores. They have higher cognitive function. They have more educated um, but that doesn't mean they're wiser. And I think that's part of what's going on here. But I do think we need to, um, you know, and, and we also have to understand that we're in a particular moment, and you're kind of caught in the crosshairs, um, of, you know, younger people are looking at, like, baby boomers, and mm-hmm. I'm in the last, second to last year of the baby boom, right? And so, like, you know, kind of Gen X, kind of baby mm-hmm. boomer. But, like, older people aren't going anywhere. Like we're living longer, oh, yeah. we're actually we're working out. more. Um, there's the cohort, the only cohort age group that is working more as a percentage of the labor market now than in 2000 are people who are 55 and older. That's amazing. Hmm. Interesting. So it's That's, like, you know, and so like happy. if you're younger though, but you're kind of like, when is this yeah. fucking geezer going to get off of the masthead? When is this 37-year-old going to just no, fuck when off. is this editor-at-large going to finally be, you know, put out to pasture, <laughs> right? Or like taken behind the barn. And it's like, well, I, I'm not. Why would I go anywhere? I've got like, I, you, you know, I, I'm 58. I feel 40, which means yeah. I, feel, you feel, you're 40. Your you feel 23. <laughs> so like, I'm 23. Yeah. You know, 58 That's is to true. do 23. But, um, yeah. So we need to kind of hold firm and be like, don't, don't confuse like, you know, music styles changing mm-hmm. with like, what are what are really core meaningful principles of things like. Inclusion, innovation, tolerance, pluralism, individualism, autonomy, um, you know, morality. Yeah. We're just living long I, enough to put them in their place. Not to open another can, can of worms because I really have to go. But I think that um, part what have, partly what kids are missing today, though, are the quiet heroes that we had, which were people mm-hmm. who just like people like my grandfather, maybe your yeah. father, who didn't have glamorous jobs. They weren't TikTok stars. Yeah. They got up every morning, went to some menial nine to five job that, you know, but yeah. they were happy because they paid their bills. They had meaning my from- My not happy, but <laughs> I know I get what you You know mean. what I'm saying? But they no, were satisfied or whatever. They, did they yeah. had he their did kids, that for you. their community, yeah. you know, they had their community. I, I don't think our ki- yeah. the kids are seeing a lot of that today. I think there's so much angst. There's so much- dysfunction there's so much depression and anxiety and all of this kind of stuff and i think kids are really feeling it and don't know how to navigate that they don't have a lot of I role would models highly recommend that you guys have on a psychologist from suny purchase named carla vermulen who wrote mm. a book called generation disaster which is about Kids basically like uh, late millennials and early uh, generation z oh, and what she argues that's me Oh, no. Uh, no, no I'm an early millennial. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so you're about 10 years older than the people she's talking about. Okay. It's like 20 to 30 mm-hmm. um, about how they, they've they been raised and they were raised by people like me and parents, maybe maybe by you. I don't know yeah. how older your kids are. But, um, you know, they were raised to, you know, be terrified. Like, you know, the, all of the messages they were yeah. getting is like, well, you you know, yeah. you are uniquely smart. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Yeah. And also you're going to be shot in school. Don't play and, in the right. playground. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be uh, taken hostage and yeah. raped. You're going to be, the yeah. world is going to come to an end because of environmentalism. And we've created this, we've created the anxiety yeah. As, yeah. and then they're running with it and they're feeding off it and they're using it to throw at us to say like you you did this like you fix it for yeah. us and they really yeah. feel it too yeah. their anxiety we did it with real. covid I mean, 
We did it with COVID yeah. to the young people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we scare the that's shit out the of them. Greatest generational crime. The I mean, like people, where it's like the only people who weren't going to die. From I know. Them. It's like no, you're going to pay for it. And it's the only people who are refusing yeah. to give up now that I see outside yeah, with masks. But are that's young because the the dynamic is like general. You know, like you want us to do this? Fuck you. We're doing this. Yeah. You know, we're doing the other thing. I you know I I was I yeah. like punk music from the seventies. And like in England, there was this moment where like, you know, the sex pistol, Susie Sue of mm. uh, Susie Sue and the Banshees, whose first big hit was a very anti-Semitic song, by the way, but, <laughs> but they wore a lot of swastikas, not because they were anti-Semitic mm-hmm. or pro-Nazi, but because it was, it was a, a way you. of fuck you to I'm, your parents yeah. who had fought and won world war two and survived. I knew an Israeli punk uh, guy who had a swastika tattooed yeah. on the inside of his lip. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's pretty he was pretty hot. But <laughs> I can imagine. So not just, I mean, breaking the rules to get a tattoo. I was 17, which is exactly what I thought. Nazi tattoo, that was cool, yeah. yeah. But, and I think after 17, that wasn't really cool anymore. But um, yeah, it's a yeah, fuck but, you. But, but the, you know, the generational moron. dynamic, yeah, the generational <laughs> dynamics are really yeah, kind of interesting. And like, yeah. what, what I, one of the things that we need to do is, I, I've been thinking a lot about this of, you know, in the 60s, people would talk about the generation gap. And, and it was, you know, like the World War II generation you know, came through all of this stuff and then gave their kids unprecedented opportunities mm-hmm. and wealth. And like, you can go to college and you can, you know, you can work at a job you like as opposed to just doing whatever it took to put food on the table. Yeah. And then the kids were like, fuck you. Like, we hate you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're, I think we might be in a generation gap that is even more stark. Now. I think we are. I mean, in my, yeah, I, and we need to figure out how do you, how do you, bridge that yeah. in a way that is real and meaningful uh, without making young people like spend their whole lives living in your shadow or, yeah. or you know, you know, bringing you food kind of like you were talking about yeah. with your, you know, your father and then you, um, but also one where there is like mutual respect right, and love right. and trust and, and real sharing of wisdom. Because this is, you know, the one thing I know is like, I, I, I'm, I remember less than I did when I was maybe 28, but like I also know a lot more and I have something approaching mm-hmm. wisdom and guidance that I can give and I can learn a lot from younger people. But yeah. like if you don't have that, those conversations, like everybody is just there you know, was angry a, and bitter. There was a big generation gap between my grandparents and parents. You know, my grandfather, mm-hmm. again, being a survivor, raising yeah. a son in Montreal. My father loved hockey and was, you know, a Canadian kid, right? I mean, Orthodox yeah. Jew, but yeah, a yeah, Canadian no, kid, no, they, no. it was hard to relate so to each other. So did he grow up in the famous Montreal Jewish Yeah, ghetto? yeah. I mean, that's birth like Leonard Cohen yeah, and Stephen up, Pinker yeah. and, and Drake, Mordecai dad, Rickler. Yeah. Yes, no, it's yes. Like, yeah. that's, a, that's where my father yeah. grew up. But the thing is, is that I see with my kids, the gap is so much deeper in a way because of the technology and mm-hmm. the difference in the way they think think, the way they react to the world. I mean, my grandfather basically rebuilt a shtetl in Montreal for my father, Yeah. right? Whereas like, and my kids, and we've done the same, like we live within an Orthodox community. My kids go yeah. to all Orthodox schools and yeshivas, but the technology difference is mm-hmm. is so stark in a community like ours. And that gap is really something we're struggling to figure out. But you don't, you don't find that you are connecting with your kids more. And I, I the reason I raise that is like, my, so my parents were born in the 20s. Yeah. My father was born in 23, my mother uh, and and I was born in 63. So he's 40 years older than me. Yeah. And like in the 70s when I started, you know, having consciousness or, you know, whatnot, 
you know, my parents were like talking about like Rudy Valley as right. a musician or something. And <laughs> right. it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Whereas right. my kids who are um, 30 and 36 years younger than me, um, like we listen to a the lot same. of the same music because there's a continuity because yeah. of technology in a lot of ways. But I agree. It's a, it's, you know, it's kind of fascinating. But, my my right. parents had no idea about how I lived my life, what job, what, what it yeah. meant to be in grad school. I mean, my father didn't graduate high school and like he had two kids who got PhDs. He had like no fucking idea. I mean, he was very positive, but it was kind of yeah, like right. we could have been astronauts. But the difference is for us is that in the Orthodox world, especially in the ultra-Orthodox world where, my, mm. where we are, um, we don't want the kids to have that kind of exposure, right? Like it mm. was easier to keep pop culture out. It was easier to keep out yeah. the influences, you know, from around. And now like, you know, my kids have phones and everything is accessible. And so, yeah, I'm fine with it because that's mm-hmm. the way I am. But like their schools and and the community at large is really struggling to figure yeah. out how do you convince an 18 year old to care about being an Orthodox Jew today when every single opportunity is in their hand, right? Like it's yeah. not, you don't have to travel to the big city to go to university. Right. I mean, it's right yeah. there. So that's yeah. the gap that I think, you know, we're, we're I, struggling you, with. I mean, that's a, I, I, are you, are, you're not Orthodox, right? Really? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. I don't know what to no, say. No, I'm not. When I, you have you have sex and no sheets are involved. Oh, you my didn't, God. you didn't okay. listen to episode yeah. one we of our do podcast. Not have sheets. We, okay, we've yeah, addressed. Yeah, no, okay. We've what, addressed you call that them myth. something else, right? <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. I um I uh, constantly call Hyla and ask her questions that I should know <laughs> oh, okay. about. Like, yeah. what holiday is this? Yeah, are we allowed um, to yeah. eat this? But that is that's a much tougher yeah. road to hoe than. You know, I'm thinking a couple of years ago, three years ago, my namesake uncle, my godfather, who was named Nick uh, on my mother's side, died. And it was the first time I had been around a lot of my, you know, cousins. And there's like virtually nobody left from that generation. Mm -hmm. And I saw, you know, my I brought my kids and my cousins and it was this amazing thing where like, I mean, my mother's family, they were like, fuck, you know, the the equivalent of like, you know, when. Der Sturmer cartoons of Jews. My <laughs> my mother's family was like that for Italians, right? Right, right? And, you know, I looked at my cousins and we had all married different types of people. And there was like, it was like a Benetton ad and the yeah. kids were tall and different looking, <laughs> but also related. You know, yeah. there was like a family resemblance. And yeah. I was like, this is so fantastic because it can change and morph. But a thread gets pulled through. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, that's great. For you, obviously that it's represents. It's a challenge. Yeah. It's a big challenge. I mean, you know, we we uh, we love living in a world that's multicultural, but we don't mm-hmm. want our kids to be multicultural. Yeah, no, <laughs> Does that no. Make sense? I, I, yeah. Do you know what I yeah. mean? We want to look like, at our phones all the time. We, want we don't everyone want our kids it. to look at our phones. Yeah. yeah. But this is, yeah. I, I think it's, more, you know, and, and I think this is more, you know, the society at large um, is, you know, what does it mean to be an American now yeah. uh, in a way that works? And like, you know, John F. Kennedy, um, it, he didn't write it, obviously, he probably didn't even read it, but he had somebody author a book under his name <laughs> in 1958, yeah. I think, called The Nation of Immigrants. And it kind of capped this, you know, there was a century long kind of um, conception of America as like a nation of immigrants. Mm-hmm, and yeah. that's kind of what I grew up in, yeah. particularly because of my family history. That 
doesn't work anymore. Like people right. aren't talking about that. People aren't talking about the older model of like America is a creedal nation based on yeah. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, we don't and, talk about that. And we, you know, post-Cold War, we're like stuck trying to figure out what is what's, the new what's thing? a general generic definition that allows us to recognize each other and then get along and kind of build the next thing. And this is wokeism. You know, uh, Wesley Yang, the great uh, yeah. New Jersey Canadian, or like uh, I'm sorry, he's Korean American Rutgers grad. Uh, talks about the successor ideology mm-hmm. that we've been trying to figure that out, and you know what binds us as a nation. And he's worried that we need wokeism, to yeah, that wokeism is going to win, mm-hmm. or or it's making a push for it. It obviously doesn't work because it demonizes most people, so that mm-hmm. can't yeah. be the basis of a common identity. Um, but we haven't come up with a way to talk about this where it is. You know, the the melting pot, the glorious yeah. mosaic, uh, you know, the salad bowl. Right. The, right. you know, the kind of patriot and, and lover of liberty. I don't know. You know, like, but we need yeah. that. Yeah. We were raised with this idea. It's int- I don't know if you know what Chabad is. And it's a, yeah. one of the Hasidics that I come from, Chabad. Yeah. Family, we are Chabad. So the first... Mia pronounced it Chabad. Yeah. <laughs> and Chabad House. Yes, Chabad Every house. college. Yeah. I mean, it's at Rutgers, like... At Ru- yeah, Rutgers, Rutgers has, has like 40 different uh, <laughs> things like that. Well, like I work for Hillel, which is the other oh, kind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah. I'm, I am Chabad. I always wanted you guys Hillel. in like uh, Campus Crusade for Christ to kind of, you know... <laughs> I kind of... It's like the Warriors, but with all of the religious You're groups like, yeah. and the Jews for Jesus or like the baseball <laughs> furies. And... <laughs> no, but we were raised because the Chabad yeah. Rebbe who came here in the in the 40s, um, right. you know, his comment was, you know, we left the shtetl in Eastern Europe, but America is not different. Like, we're going to yeah. continue to do the things that we did in the shtetl. We're going to educate our kids the same way. We're going to live the same way. We're right. going to have the same values. And that was kind of a bold statement because most other yeah. Hasidic Rebbe's were not saying that, right? They were right. like, America is going to be a disaster for us where our <laughs> kids are not going to, we're not going to survive. You know, we're, we're going to be out. Like no one's going to care is, about is this. That, is that because the kids would just uh, assimilate? Into yeah. I mean, there the were culture. all these yeah. stories. I don't know yeah. how many are apoc- apocryphal, but like people throwing their tefillin into the, you know, Hudson River when they <laughs> yeah, came yeah, on sure. the boat, you when know, like the Statue yeah. of Liberty. And many did. I, 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 many and did. I love the way within a generation, this is the power of Judaism, right? Yeah. That within a generation, like all of the, the, the Jews who would come here and they, they all took as their first names, like, famous family names from England yes, and then exactly. immediately irradiating, irradiating names like Milton and Sydney yes, and Irving. Yes. You know, it's like, okay, those are super Jewish names. So nobody in America view like that. They're very stubborn people. Yeah. Very we stubborn are. people. But they were trying to assimilate. and Yeah, I know. And but, look you know, us, here look we are. Now. We're practically yeah, white. I was going to so say, you know, here there we are. There's a great we've, moment. We've over-assimilated. In... Um, in a colonial America, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which you know was a bunch of uh, Puritans sure. who were, you know, dissenting from the Church of England, they within a generation of being there, the leaders had to like the kids who were born, like the, so these guys all you know leave England and some ladies, they leave England and then they have kids, and within that generation, the kids are like, we're you know, we're not going to be as religious as what the fuck, like, you know, and they created something called the halfway covenant where it was like, okay, like the parents at the very beginning or one beginning of America, the parents were like, 
you don't have to be as religious as that. Just be like half as right. religious. <laughs> and I know like as a Catholic, like I mean, my parents were raised with a Catholicism and I went to Catholic grammar school in high school and it was like half as fucked up and half as religious <laughs> as like my parents. My kids aren't even baptized. That's so, so I, you know, like I, I wish them well when they die and end up in limbo. <laughs> but no, but uh, so you, you are... Real, you know, I, I hate to say this because it sounds anti-Semitic, but it's like what your your project is so profoundly yeah. anti-American, I know. and it's like we make fun of the Welsh people yeah. and the Scandinavians who like they oh we're leaving the coal mines in Wales, so we're going to go to so- southeastern Ohio yeah. and work in coal mines. Exactly. <laughs> like what? No, you you're. Do you know the but story that's of the Barabbas? Of, America. of Barabbas, the thief. The thief who is set free in place of Jesus, you know, as Jesus. No, we don't is, know that story. You know, being crucified, yeah. No, but I've never heard but, of it. Oh, and there's a fantastic novel by the Swedish author uh, Par Lagervis, who's like a Christian existentialist, and it's like Barabbas is a murderer and a rapist and a thief, and he just gets sprung because the the Romans like say, okay, you can free one criminal, and mm-hmm. is it going to be Jesus, <laughs> or is it going to be? You know, Barabbas, and, and Jesus has been annoying people because he refuses to play the game. Like, right. he's, you know, oh, uh, you know, if you say I am the king, I am, yeah. you know, whatever. And so they're like, yeah, let's let Barabbas go. And the novel, <laughs> and I mean, this is a profound allegory for so many things. Barabbas gets set free for, no, you know, through the grace of God, you know, Failure like he, he just gets, yeah. and he struggles with like, holy shit, like I've got a second chance at life and what do I do? Hmm. And it's like, it's a wonderful thing about it now. I mean, I read it back when I was interested in kind of Christian existentialism, but it's, it's kind of a metaphor now for America where we have, in a lot of ways, we have escaped history. We've achieved escape velocity from the past and we're, we don't know what to fucking do. And so then we revert back to Oh, we got to get into a war. Or we got to no. we got to fight along racial no. lines, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, it's, uh, no. That's why reinvent. I hold on dearly to the things that made yeah. what I consider to be the greatness of my people. Right, the Shabbat dinners, the holidays, yeah, the yeah. community. The yeah. that's what I cling to, and I think it's profoundly American, actually, and like very. I get that. Yeah, you know, I know it's it's anti secular in a way, but like it's yeah. such a beautiful idea that I could even exist in this like world that we've right. created here. And, and that's uh, the basic libertarian pitch, right? right? Which is that we want to live in a society where, you know, the, the government, not anarchism, but, you know, where the government or society is strong enough to defend our common interests and our, our commonwealth, but is loose enough so that you can be doing your you thing right, and your I can Shabbat be doing dinners. my exactly. thing. And, and then our kids and grandkids and stuff are going to meet somewhere in the middle and maybe it'll be different or maybe right. not, you know. But yeah. Well, hopefully that, my kids will meet other Jews, but yeah, go on. <laughs> it's a vision. No, they'll marry the Amish, right? Because no. you guys, like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I guess I'm sure the Amish are deeply anti-Semitic. I have a feeling. But, um, yeah, that is, that's, I think, yeah. a vision of America that is saleable. Right. You know, where, right. but it, but it does to go to your point, like it means you get to, you get to live your truth, mm-hmm. um, but you don't get to force it on other people. Yeah, you can exactly. persuade them and you can coax them and you can, you know, live your life in a, in public view and people will be like, oh, wow, that well, person seems happy. That, There's something, I want to check that out. Nobody is threatened by that either yeah. in an ideal world. Right, right. right. Okay, we have to end this. I, okay. I'm literally having 50 people over. Uh, Nick, thank you so much. Thank I hope you, you come so back. much. I, will, I mean, I, we don't, could talk I, forever. I think the real question is, am I going to leave? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But 
no, thank you. This has been really, really fascinating and um, just invigorating. No, thank, thank you. So much. you. We I had a lot so of fun. Much. I feel like yeah. we could go on forever. I know and ever. we could go on. We forever. didn't get to any of our questions or our listener yeah, questions, those <laughs> which were great. And I, but I mean, they prompted a whole conversation. Yeah, yeah. So but thank uh, you. I really enjoyed thank this. Thank you. So good to thank see you, you again. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> 